But then I realized I wasn't just a nobody. I was a son of God. I was somebody. And that I learned how to touch my father's hand in faith, I could see him do great and mighty things. So that's when I started uh, working and doing things. And then as I began to see God do a little bit, you got to remember, or some of you do know, some of you do not know, that uh, it's been uh, 26 years ago that the Lord spoke to me the first time and, and began to give me direct revelation from His Word. 26 years ago. And it's real easy for me to remember that date because it was last June. It would have been 26 years ago. And the reason I can remember it so vividly is because my daughter, which was born in May, she was born 26 years ago in May. And, of course, uh, she lived uh, to be 24 years old, and then the enemy killed her in a car wreck. You know, so her and her mama, uh, last October the 13th, uh, 2001, both of them went home to be with Jesus the same day. And, of course, I didn't realize that was going to be the greatest test of faith that I was ever going to go through. But it was. When my wife and daughter were killed by the enemy, and then my grandbaby and Kelly were supposedly going to die. Uh, Kelly, she might have lived, but they assured me my grandbaby would die also. That she was already virtually dead. Her brain stem was severed. Her eyes disconnected. Her face crushed. Her skull fractured in five places. Her lungs uh, all messed up. And her right knee crushed and her left leg broken in two places. And they assured me my grandbaby would die. But <clears throat> knowing what I know about the Word of God, and some of it I'm going to teach you today in these scriptures right here, Knowing your spiritual authority as a son of God, I would not receive the report of the doctor. I believe what's written in God's Word. And yesterday, my little granddaughter, of course, she come running and hugged me as granddaddy. and gave me a kiss on the cheek as her and her daddy drove down to Georgia to see his mom and dad this next week before she starts the school next week. So God's Word really does work. And it works extremely well. And it'll work for every one of us, just like Wendell prayed for the woman yesterday. Of course, Wendell, he didn't know this a year and a half ago when he came to this church right here for the first time. Wendell was a normal young man living in sin. You know, and he asked me what he had to do to walk where I walked. And I explained to him what he had to do. And he said, I'll do it. And he has done it. And he has done it, and he has walked in obedience to God's Word, and God is using that young man mightily. So if you'll do it for a 22-year-old young man, who will he do it for? Anybody. He's no respecter of person, because you've got to do it God's way. Today, we're going to talk about our spiritual authority, or breaking the authority of the devil in your life and in other people's life. Now, the devil blinds your mind, and he blinds the mind and hearts of other people. Now, you have been given great and awesome power over the devil. I did not know this for a great number of years of my life. But the following scriptures that I'm going to start out with you in Ephesians chapter 6 is going to tell you who our enemy is. Now, I read these scriptures many a time before they became a revelation to me. And I'm going to tell you something today that I read these scriptures and they had not meant virtually anything to me, but then one day, these truths that I'm going to read from you from Ephesians 6, starting with verse 12, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now then, it's, if it says though, it tells us what we do wrestle against. It says, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
So that is Satan and his well-trained host of spiritual wickedness and his demons that walk on this earth, of which he is the CEO in charge of all of that. Now, that kingdom that he lives in is a kingdom of hatred and a kingdom of just wickedness. There's Always remember this about Satan. There's nothing good about Satan. Satan don't know what good is. He don't know what love is. He hates you. When people, in fact, I was down at a, uh, speaking at a little church down in uh, uh, the central part of Texas. I went down and spoke at two churches uh, over a couple of days' time. And they were just small Baptist churches. And the Baptist preacher in one of those, a little congregation of about 50 people, he called me and told me he'd heard the testimony about Caitlin and he wanted me to come down and speak in his church. But he said, will you please be easy on my people? I told him, sure, I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to teach the Word of God just like it's written in the book. I'm going to be just as easy on them as I am on everybody else. I'm going to tell you just exactly the way it is. That's the only way I know to teach it. I don't know how to teach it any other way. So, he did not believe that a child could possibly have a demon. He said, Thurman, there's no way that God would allow Satan to attack the child. I said, give me a break. I said, how do, what do you think when a child comes out of a womb that's handicapped and deformed? Do you think God did that? Well, he said, I, I said, now wait a minute, let's stop and think about this. If all good and perfect things come from God, you think when a child's born handicapped, blind, arms missing, legs missing, pallets missing, all, you think that's good? Well, no. I said, well, then that didn't come from God, did it? He said, well, I said, okay, if it didn't come from God, who did it come for? There's only two sources, right? God and the devil. Now, then people have a real problem believing Satan can move inside the womb of a mother and create that kind of a problem with a child. But let me tell you, he can. He can and he will. But you must give him legal claim to do that. And your, his legal claim to you comes through your sin. And that's the thing you must learn. You must learn to walk holy before God to keep Satan off of your back. And most people don't know that. So the church today is living in sin. Many, many ways we're living in sin. Now then, Satan and his demons, all these different forms of darkness, they're principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. Now, little principalities is like a little buck private. They're not very powerful. They're easy to kick out. But you get just a little bit higher up there to a ruler of darkness. You still have complete authority over him, providing you're walking in obedience to God's Word. But he's a, he fights a little bit more intensively. And it's not as easy to kick out. And then when you get to spiritual wickedness and heavenlies, they're powerful, powerful, awesome beings that are fallen angels that Satan drew with them. And those fallen angels... Now, as we talk about the authority we have over these, I ask the Lord many times, where did all these beings come from? Now, then, in the beginning, God made everything, made everything perfect. Now, that we only know from God's Word that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when was that? We really don't know. We really don't know. Because the next thing it says that after God created the heavens and the earth, verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void. Now, then, as I have read in Jeremiah 4 and, and Isaiah 24, I have come to realize that there was a 
earth here before, and that man became wicked, and God got so upset with man that he completely destroyed every man, every living creature, and he turned the sun out, and he literally turned the world upside down. That's what the Scripture says. And that's written in the Word of God. Now then, if God did that, He destroyed and killed everything. And then Jeremiah said, And I saw the earth, and it was without form and void. And there was no man on it. Now that's in Jeremiah 4, and in Isaiah 24 is where you will find all of those references. It's there. So once God destroyed everything, I believe with all my heart, all the people, all the wicked, all the people that had become wicked, totally tainted of evil, I believe that Satan came and cohabitated with the daughters of men, and over the period of time, all of them became totally wicked. And at the end of that, God saw that, and so he just destroyed everything. And I believe all of those people that died, their spirits are what are the demons that are living on the earth today. Those demons, they're intelligent beings. They're looking for a body to come into, to kill, still, and to destroy. And they're looking for your body. Now, if they can't find and get into your physical body, then they're going to get into an animal or something because they can do no damage to the earth in the spirit form. So they have to be inside of some kind of a physical body. Well, these are the beings we're fighting against today. These beings have the capability to come inside of you, to make you sick and afflict you, to stop your heart, to create pain and suffering. And as a born-again child of God... You have authority over these things. But you must know who you're fighting against. If you do not know who you're fighting against, you can't fight against something by faith in the faith world that you don't know what you're fighting against. So the, Satan and his hosts, Paul clearly told us here that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now then... Now we are told what to do about it. In verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, once you've done all you can do yourself, then you stand on God's Word. How many of you have ever heard the song, Standing on the Promises? How many of you sung that a 10,000 times like I did and didn't have a clue what it meant? Standing on the promises. I used to sing that song in the denominational church. I was standing on the promises. I, that song didn't mean nothing to me. I mean, I had no clue what it meant. And I come to realize everybody in that church was just like I was. You know, I mean, they didn't have a clue who this enemy was. They didn't have a clue what power they had over him. They just thought sickness and disease was just something that just happens. No, it's not something just happens. It's something that comes from this enemy, and you have power over him. I'm going to make this statement right up front. Anybody that allows the enemy today to do what he did to me for the first 40 years of my life to make me sick and afflict me is living in deception. Once you learn who you are and what you can do and what you're supposed to do and the covenant you have with the king, I'm going to guarantee you you're never going to have to have another sick day in your life. I learned that many years ago. And when I learned that from that day to this, from the day I learned and received Jesus as my healer, I've not had one sick day. So praise God. It's a wonderful place to live. You don't have to even be concerned. And not, not even needing any kind of a benefit package just to know that you're never going to be sick again is a wonderful place to live, isn't it, brother? 
Yes, it is. And we can all do that as sons and daughters of the king. And the Lord's telling us how to do it. And he says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. What in the world does it mean to have your loins girt about with truth? I'll tell you what it means. Tell the truth. That's what it means. As long as you're truthful in everything you do and you don't lie about anything, you don't open no door to the devil. You gird your loins about with truth. Whatever you do, don't even tell a little white lie. Tell the truth. That is the spiritual armor that you need because as long as you're telling the truth, you open no doors to Satan. So have your loins girded about with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now then, once you learn that Jesus, in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, by what he did on the cross, you became the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, if you became the righteousness of God in Christ, what should you act like? A regular little hellion out here that's going out and living with some woman or man out of wedlock and, and doing all kinds of mean things and talking evil about everybody? Or should you live righteous? Well... God give you the choice. Although He made you the righteousness of God in Christ, you still have the privilege of going out and living like the devil if you want to. But if you do, you're going to live out there in the world where sickness and disease and killing and stealing and destroying is. Now, if you want to walk in obedience to what He made you, the righteousness of God in Christ, you put on this righteousness by being righteous before the King. That's how, that's how simple this armament is that you wear. You put on the righteousness of God in Christ. You walk right before God. And then Paul said in verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You think about that? Of course, he's looking at a soldier there trying to explain this to us in some kind of a form that will make sense. Now, I used to read it and it didn't mean anything. But peace, if that's part of the armament, what should we walk in? Peace. When you walk in peace with everybody, I mean, you don't get upset with nobody or nothing. You walk in total peace between yourself, your neighbor, and God. You open no doors to the devil. No doors. Now then, if if you get angry with somebody and somebody says something and you want to retaliate and you want to do something, guess what you just done? You did exactly what the devil wants you to do. You just opened a door and you just got a chink in your armor and the devil's going to come in and he's going to get you. So you've got to do everything the Lord says here. And then above all, taking the shield of faith. Well, what is that? Wherefore, you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith. How many of the fiery darts will it quench? All of them. That's right. What is faith? It's, I studied this for years and years and years and did not understand what faith was. Faith is knowing God's Word and being able to quote it. If God said it, that's just like the other night, a lady called me from England. She called me about five times before she got me. And she got up at 4.30 in the morning and called me last night, and it was 10.30 here. It's 4.30 in the morning in England. It's 10.30 last night whenever I got home. And I'd only been home a few minutes whenever my phone rang. And I had just sat down... And I had just heated me up a plate of food and I'd taken one bite of a hot plate of food when the phone rang. And I thought, do I answer that phone? 
or do I eat this meal? And I thought, Lord, I've got to answer that phone. I'm here. So I answered it, and it was this lady from England. She said, my name is so-and-so. And she said, I have Parkinson's. And she began to tell me about her problem. I said, ma'am, how old are you? She said, I'm 56. I said, how long have you had it? She said, about, I believe she said four years. I said, it has progressively gotten much worse in the last four years, hasn't it? She said, yes. I said, let me tell you what you did. I said, are you a daughter of the king? She said, yes. I said, you come up with symptoms. She said, yes. I said, you went to the doctor, didn't you? She said, yes. I said, and what did the doctor tell you? He said, well, I have the beginning phases of Parkinson's. I said, then you went and began to tell all of your friends, I have Parkinson's. She said, well, how did you know that? I said, because it's obviously much worse today. You've got progressively worse. And every time somebody calls you or you call somebody and they say, what's wrong with you? You say, I have Parkinson's. Well, she said, I'm just telling the truth. I said, no, you're not. You're telling the devil's lie. Satan is putting symptoms upon you. You are agreeing with him. She said, well, what should I say? I said, if you'd have known the word, well, first of all, when the symptom came upon you, you'd have never went to a doctor. The first thing you'd have did, you said, devil, I've got all my sins confessed. I'm walking holy before God. I'm not living in any kind of sin, so you have no legal claim to me. So in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, out. And I said, he would have had to have left, have left. Because I said, James 4, 7 says that Satan, well, you, first of all, you must submit yourself to God. If you resist the devil, then he will flee from you. I said, how do you resist the devil? First of all, I said, you must submit yourself to God. You must walk holy in his sight. And if you walk holy in his sight, then you resist him with it is written. I said, when you quote God's word, tell the devil, devil, what do you not understand that I have all authority over you in the name of Jesus, according to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. All authority is given to me and you must be subject to me. So out in Jesus' name. I said, now then, but you didn't do that, did you? She said, no. I said, you didn't know God's word. She said, well, no, I guess I don't know very much of it. I said, and that's why you're sick. I said, that's why you're sick, because you don't know God's word. And see, people get offended real easy when you tell them you're sick because you don't know God's word. So I'm not going to tell you that I'm the one that said that. I'm going to take you to Hosea 4, 6 and let God tell you. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's what God says. So if I am quoting what God says, then I don't have to worry about offending you. I'm just telling you that my people, God speaking in Hosea 4, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now then, that's what was wrong with me all those years. All those years that the devil beat up on me and everything, I didn't know who the enemy was. I mean, a spiritual realm that I cannot see that's invisible attacks me in my physical body and he has the ability with his scorpions to penetrate right inside of my being, my physical body, to go right in me and make all kinds of things happen wrong in my physical body. To put pain, how can he get in? He can get in anywhere there's an opening in your body. You know any openings in your body? Yeah, several. All kinds of openings you have in your body. He can get in any one of them. Whenever a person unites themselves with a person out of wedlock in a sexual relationship, you've got two openings where Satan will come in. Now, he might come into the woman or the man or both. 
He may already be in the man, and if he is, he's going to transfer to the woman. I've seen it many times. A woman that's clean and pure. Like I, I knew, knew a young girl, knew of a young girl one time. This young girl was a virgin. She was a fine Christian girl. She graduated from high school clean and pure. She wouldn't hardly go with the boys, but she went off to college. Now she don't have mom and daddy there. She went off to college and she met the quarterback of the football team. I mean, he'd already been to college a couple of years and he was a handsome young man and everything and everybody liked him and he liked her because she was a beautiful girl. So he asked her to go with him and she finally did. And after a few dates, she fell to his temptations of sex. She had sex with that young boy one time and then she found out she got AIDS. And in one year, that little girl was dead. One time, she opened the door to a demon, and he came in. And she didn't know how to get healed. See, she didn't know these principles. She didn't know that she wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, she asked, oh yeah, she knew she wasn't supposed to, but she didn't know the consequences where she was going to get a demon. If you thought, if you told your children, if your children sinned, and if I sinned as a mother and father... There is a demonic world waiting here to attack me. If I sin, it would change the way you do business. You want to know why you can be healthy and everything and going great guns and doing good? And all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, a flu comes right up on you. And I mean, your headache, you, some, it's just, well, it's just a way of life. No, you got to realize that just a few minutes before lunch, you got all upset at your boss or somebody else in there, and you read them a right act and you treated them like a dog. And two hours later, the devil was on you and you were sick as you could be and you had to go home. You never put the two together. But that's what happens. God says to the man that will have a long life and see good days, he must keep his tongue from speaking evil about others over in First Peter 3. Do you think he meant that? I believe he did too. No, I don't believe he did. I know he did. If God said it, that settles it. It doesn't make a difference whether you and me believe it or not. You would be amazed at the people that send me writings and copies out of books and everything else. Now, Thurman, you're getting off on a tangent here. You need to be a little careful. This brother over here says you're teaching something that's not true. Well, I'll come back and say, how many people has he got saved? How many people has he got healed? How many people has he got delivered lately? And they say, well, I don't know if anybody ever got healed in his ministry. I say, well... I don't know whether I'm teaching the truth or not, but I'm teaching exactly what God's Word says. And if I'm teaching exactly what the Word said and God shows up to heal and deliver people all the time and I see all these wonderful miracles, I must be pleasing Him a little bit, right? And I love that. I love to see people get healed. So all I'm going to say is on my tapes, you're going to see I am a Word person. And I'm going to show you what God's Word says and then I'm going to hope that I can make it so clear to you what, take, what it takes to walk in divine health, that you will be able to leave here knowing what Jesus did for you on the cross, and that if you're sick, you can get well, and if you're not sick, that you're never going to have to worry about being sick again. You're going to walk in divine health. That's what we want you to do. Then he says, after this faith, God's Word. Now, let me tell you, if you don't have the Word of God stored in your heart, that you can speak it out of your mouth, you are in, you're very vulnerable to the enemy. The average Christian that I talk to today, if I say, if they're sick, quote me five favorite healing verses. 
You know what the average one that's sick? They cannot quote me one. Because, see, if they could quote me at least as many as five, they probably would not be sick in the first place. We don't know the Word of God. You'd just be amazed. I mean, the other night I was in church standing there. Uh, uh, well, the other night. It's been a couple, two or three years ago. And uh, there was a lady walked in, and she stood right beside me. And she had the big old things on her arms. And I said, that's when my wife was still alive, so it had to be over two years ago. I says, uh, what's your problem, ma'am? We're standing up to sing. She said, well, my arms are hurting me real bad here. And I, the doctor said I got carpal tunnel. I said, well, do you want to wear those things or do you want to be healed? Well, she said, I want to be healed. I said, okay, quote me a, your favorite healing verse. She said, by his stripes I am healed. I said, good, that's in the Word of God two places. You know where it's found? Well, she said, no, I don't know where it's found, but I know it's in there. I said, oh, see there? You don't have any faith? You don't know where it's found. But I said, I'm going to give you one to show you where it's at. I said, I'm not even going to use that one. I want you to open your Bible to Matthew 18, 19 right now. So she opened her Bible to Matthew 18, 19. I said, now Jesus is speaking. Read me that promise. He said, she said, and we're standing up getting ready to sing, see? She said, again, I'll tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. I said, that a pretty awesome promise? She said, pretty awesome promise. I said, you want to get healed, ma'am? She said, yes. I said, can you agree with me in prayer on that? She said, sure. I said, now remember where that's at, right? Hide that in your heart. Because if you don't, the devil will steal it away from you when you leave here. I said, take Matthew 18, 19. We're going to use that. I'm going to ask the Father in the name of Jesus to heal your arms right now. And I'm going to thank him for it. And I said, then it's done. It's done because it's written in the Word. I said, now all you need to do is go and praise him and thank him for your healing. That was on Sunday night. We did. She said, Thurman, that's so simple. I said, well, God, you know, he didn't make his word hard. He made it simple because he made us simple-minded. So, I mean, so he made things simple. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to get healed from God's word. Next Sunday, I saw her again. She come into church with her hands raised, just praising God. Didn't have them things on her arm. I said, well, praise God, what happened? She said, Tuesday morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And I, God was all over me. She said, I was dizzy. I, I, could, I thought I had got to go to the bathroom or something. But she said, I started that way and I was dizzy. And all of a sudden, I realized right there, God just came up on me. And all my pain and everything in my wrist was completely gone. And I was completely healed right there. She said, I've not had a single pain since Tuesday morning in the wee hours of the morning. I said, isn't God amazing? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he awesome? I said, all you got to do is find these promises, ask in faith, and believe him and thank him for your answer. I mean, didn't he make it hard? <laughs> we make it hard, right, brother? We're the ones that make it hard. God made it so simple. But then he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, see, that's the secret. You've got to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just like Brother Dick showed us up there a while ago with these crosses, one of those men made the right choice. One of those men made the wrong choice. I can tell you, five seconds after that, when they made the wrong decision, he, that died... He knew he had made the wrong choice. And I can see him from that day to this, begging, Oh, God, just let me go back and do it one more time. Can you only imagine that on this earth, if you die on this earth, I don't care what you've been through on this earth. And some people think, I have literally been through hell on this earth. Let me tell you, 
If you think you've been through hell on this earth and you didn't make Jesus Lord of your life, when you close your eyes in death, you'd want to come back to this hell. Because this ain't nothing compared to what that is. That place, that place of burning torment and fire is eternal and it never ceases to be. Now, anybody that can live with a man or a woman, and when I ask them that's been married 20, 30, 40 years, do you know if your mate is a Christian? Well, I don't know. I never did ask them. And you come to church every Sunday and you don't know? Hey, I mean, this, this, what we're doing has never become a revelation. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded our mind. Even in the church, we don't have a clue who we are or what we can do in the name of Jesus. The thing that should be on your heart. If you've got a loved one of any kind, mother, father, brother, sister, aunt, or uncle, that don't know Jesus, if you've not got a copy of my spiritual warfare tape, you need to get a copy of that tape, and you need to listen to that, and you need to learn how to kick the devil out of your loved one's lives and pray the prayer of faith so they can get saved. I've done that since I've learned how to do that. I've got many, many people saved that didn't want nothing to go but Thurman... I mean, it's up to them and their free will. Oh, yeah, I real realize that's true. But I'm going to tell you, when you, as a, when you learn your spiritual authority and you catch yourself up into the third heaven where I've learned you can go and you begin to worship and praise the king and then you take your spiritual authority and you kick that devil out of somebody's life. Young lady, whose little lady is this? Okay, I need her to come back there. Come on, honey. Come back here. Take, break her, break, take her back there and set her down. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, Satan, I take authority over you in Jesus' name, and I command you take your hands off of that little girl in Jesus' name. Right now, in the name of Jesus, you're not going to upset this meeting today, devil. In the name of Jesus, I exercise my authority over everybody in this place right now. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you will not interfere here anyway in the name of Jesus. I will not allow it in Jesus' name. Now then, the enemy is the one who causes the problem. You're welcome to keep her here. No problem. We'll pray for her at the end of the thing. No problem. We, but just stay right there if you want to. I don't want her to leave and not be set free. So make sure she comes back. Now then, take the helmet of salvation. You must take the helmet of salvation. You must know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... You have no spiritual authority over the devil. You belong to him. And he's going to do anything he wants to do to you, anything, including kill you. You have no authority over your master. And your master, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is the devil. There's only two places to be, and that's lost or saved. There's no other place. Everybody on this earth either belongs to the devil or they belong to Jesus. One of the two. There's no in-between ground. People say, well, I'm okay. I'm going to just do what I want to do, and then maybe one day I'll get uh, thinking about this religious stuff, and then maybe I'll let you talk to me about Jesus. Well, no, they don't realize they belong to the devil, and nobody or very few people is willing to just blatantly tell you, well, you belong to the devil, and if you die, you're going to go to hell. Most people are ashamed. In other words, that's just like one day I was in a cafeteria, and I worked as an engineer for years and years and years. And I was in the cafeteria, and all of a sudden, the head lady over HR come to see me and said, Thurman, I need to see you in the director's office, and uh, just as quick as you can get there. I thought, uh-oh, I wonder what I've done now. 
So I went by and got me a cup of hot tea. It was the wintertime. And I went in and sat down in the director's office. And this HR lady came in. And she said, Thurman, uh, it has been reported that you offended somebody in the cafeteria. I said, my goodness, what did I do to offend somebody in the cafeteria? Well, they said that uh, they heard you say that if you didn't believe in Jesus, you were going to die and go to hell. And they didn't like that. I said, it's amazing how rumors get started. She said, what do you mean? I said, I didn't say that. But they said you did. I said, oh, I was just repeating what Jesus said. He's the one said that. I was just repeating what the king of the universe said. And the, and the man that was the director, he said, Thurman, you're impossible. You're dismissed. He supposedly was a Christian. And the HR lady most definitely was a Christian. I had prayed with her in the parking lot over different people. Now, see, it's amazing how we can be in a place of establishment and they can make a set of rules and say so you can't say anything about Jesus in the workplace. And we, like a bunch of dummies, just do what the devil says instead of doing what God says. Now then, if you're willing to do what God says, and you're willing to do it boldly and in love, the Lord will show up and do mighty miracle for you in the workplace. But if the guy comes to you and says, now, you cannot talk about your religion at work. You understand me? You say, yes, sir. If you do, we're going to fire you. Okay, well then, if, I'm going to, if I can't talk about Jesus in the workplace, I might as well not work here. Because I'm going to talk about Jesus. Because what's in a man's heart, where does he come out? His mouth. So if you've got Jesus in your heart, you're going to have to tell everybody about Jesus. But now then, if you learn your spiritual authority and who you are, you can break the power of the devil over these places. I mean, I've done it over and over and over. It's amazing. After you've taken the helmet of salvation, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the helmet that protects your mind. Now then, if you've got your mind filled with the things of God, if you have it filled with the things of God, instead of the things of the world that helmet of salvation will protect you. Every time the enemy comes into your brain to put thoughts into your brain, you will not receive those thoughts. You'll know where they come from. Now then, your brain receives inputs from three sources. Now this is amazing. It took me a lifetime to learn this. Number one, when you're born, your computer is blank. You have to fill it. And you fill it from your five physical senses. You look at something, you say that this dress that this young lady's wearing right now is black and gold and silver. You've been taught colors because when you're born, your mama says, that's gray. That's gray. Okay, if that's gray, then every time you see that, you think that's gray. Is that right, Benjamin? So you see, and then you smell things. All your five physical senses, you begin to learn, and you say, boy, that smells good. And they said, well, that's a rose. And you go over and you smell that rose. You say, boy, that smells good. Well, you begin to train yourself. Now, every time you smell that aroma, you say, that's a rose. So you begin to feel yourself. Now, if I were to take you, a person, and I could take you away from everything, and I could take you, and I could be the one to train you, I could take you into the cow lot, and I, where it's tell, and you say, what is that? And say, that's a rose. That's a rose. Then I could take you to a rose and I say, that's a cow lot. Now, in other words, I could train you wrong. You know that? If nobody else could be around you but me, I could train you to where everything I told you, you would believe everything I told you. And I could train you totally wrong. 
We have that capability. So our brain receives input from three sources. Number one, it receives input from our five physical senses. Most of us teach our children the truth as we come along, as far as we know. But then your brain also receives input from the enemy. Satan puts thoughts in your mind. When he puts thoughts in your mind, if you haven't trained your mind and your spirit how to receive the inputs, you'll be, for instance, somebody says something to you one day, and a thought comes to your mind, just hit him for what he said. I know nobody besides me ever had that thought. This young lady here, she's had that thought, I could tell. <laughs> I could tell the way she laughed when I said that. Guess where that come from, young lady? You know where that come from, don't you? That come from the enemy. Now then, if somebody says something bad to you, and the thought comes through your, up through your heart, through your spirit, to your mind, and it says, but why don't you just love that person? Why don't you just be good and say something nice to that person? Now where do you think that thought come from? That come from the king, didn't it? See, now you can tell where thought you're driving down the road. And you know that Mary's been sick for two weeks. And you're, you come up to the road that leads up to Mary's house, and all of a sudden the thought comes to your mind and says, you know, why don't you go by and see Mary and pray for her today? Now, where do you think that thought come from? That come from the Holy Spirit to your spirit, and your spirit's communicating with your mind, telling you to go do something. And about that time, another thought says, but if you stop there, you're going to be late for work, and you know you'll lose your job. Now, where do you think that came from? That's the other input. See, that's God on one side and the devil on the other side. Now, who are you going to listen to? I hope the right one. Because until you learn where these inputs are coming from, most of the time you're going to yield to the forces of darkness. Most people are like I was for years, did not have a clue where all these thoughts come from in our mind. But they're coming to us from three sources. I mean, just like, for instance, your own input. Let's say that it's coming up about uh, uh, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon and uh, you haven't had anything to eat all day. And all of a sudden something within you says, hey, you're hungry. You need to have a sandwich or something. Now, that's your own input from your own self. That's your own self that's telling you you need a bite to eat. But now, then, what if you've only ate an hour ago and you're really not very hungry, but you walk in and there's all kinds of a tray a rack there in this cafeteria and it's got pecan pie and big, beautiful uh, dips of ice cream and everything. And the thought says, oh, you just need one, at least one of those with triple dips of ice cream on it. Guess where that might be coming from? The enemy. See, the enemy is going to do everything he can to kill your physical body. Or you walk in and somebody says, hey, have a cigarette. No, I don't smoke. Oh, just go ahead and try one. It won't hurt you. Guess where that's coming from? The enemy. So he's going to kill you. He's going to get your money. He's going to do everything to do what he can. So you've got to learn where these thoughts come from. Now then, after you take the helmet of salvation, which is going to protect your mind from all these inputs... When you get the helmet of salvation, then it says, and the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Everything up till now was a defensive weapon that you had against the enemy. You got one offensive weapon. But boy, that's all you need. When you realize that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, which comes out of your mouth, and you fight this battle with your mouth. That's when you walk into a hospital room 
with a doctor's report that says, I'm sorry, sir, your grandbaby is a goner. It's over. You know what the average Christian does when that happens, young lady? What do we do? We receive that. We receive their report instead of the Lord's report. So if the doctor says, I'm sorry, i just done a test on you, and you've got the most rapid growing cancer in your body, and you probably won't live for another month. You know what the average person does with that? They receive that. They receive that. And they go out and start calling everybody, their friends calling everybody and say, I've got a rapid going cancer in my body. And they say, I won't live another month. Oh, would you please pray for me? It don't do no good to pray for that person. It ain't nothing you can do. All that negative talk coming out of their mouth. Oh, I got cancer and I just know I'm going to die in a month. And probably know in my case it might not be that long. I'll probably last only three weeks. I'm serious. You're going to kill yourself with your own tongue. You have no idea of your spiritual authority. You have no idea of what's causing the problem. It's the enemy. That does not come from God. It's the enemy. And you must learn who you are and what you can do. Well, how can you defeat the enemy with the sword of the Spirit? When the Word of God becomes ingrained in you and you and the Word become one, then out of your mouth, first of all, whenever you realize that some kind of sickness and disease or symptoms are upon you, when you realize that, the first thing you should ask is this question. Lord, where have I sinned? What have I done wrong? That's just like a... We've had so many stories about unforgiveness in this church. So many of them. I personally have ministered to many people, and most of them men. Not every time, but most men with unforgiveness towards somebody or lots of somebodies. Now then, when I find out, I used to have men I couldn't get healed, women too, I could not get healed until I began to learn all these things. When I began to learn these things, then I would find out that a man has unforgiveness. And I think about this one man. This man had unforgiveness in his heart. He would not, he, he finally said he had forgiven. And his wife said that they had forgiven. But they had not. And I told him the night that I prayed for I said, Now, if you have told me the truth, I guarantee God will heal you. If you did not tell me the truth, I guarantee you're going to be dead in a few hours. So I prayed for the man that night, and within 12 hours, he was dead. And then I sent a man back over there that sent me there in the first place. And when that man went over there, he found out that that man, his mother had died three months before... And one of his brothers had taken $800,000 out of her bank account illegally and put it in his. And there was a lawsuit between the whole family and there was tooth and nail against each other all this time. Unforgiveness in the family. What did it do? It cost him his life. Cost him his life. You must walk in love. What is it you don't understand when God says, this is how you will know that you're my children, that you love one another? He didn't know for it. He didn't say if you hate one another, did he, brother? Not at all. In fact, today the Lord says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And he says, no murderer has eternal life. So if you say, I hate you, you better be careful. You're treading on very thin ice. And when you fall through the hole in the ice, instead of the reason the ice is thin because there's a roaring fire below it. And you're not going to like what you fall into. 
You're not going to like it. You've got to do it God's way. You can't do it no other way. Now then, the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray for people all the time. I wake up in the morning praying. I wake up in the morning praising the king. I mean, during the course of the day. I mean, I'm walking through the course of the day doing things, saying praise the king. Every time something happens. Just like this building we're building for my son. Some of you may have noticed my black thumb and my, my black fingernail. Well, I was trying to put uh, uh, big long sheet metal screws in the roof of a building with 16-inch insulation under it. And by pushing down, sometimes the screw would slip over to one side. And if it did, uh, first thing, it hit the thumb. You know, so I said, praise the Lord. And the second time, it hit the finger. And all this happened in one day. And then later on in the evening, I hit that thumb again. Of course, when you're pushing hard on a screw to push it in, you're pushing. I mean, you're not just little, you know, you're not, at least I don't. I mean, I'm putting some pressure behind it. And then the third time I hit that thumb late that afternoon, it busted it wide open. I mean, blood come gushing out and everything. And I'm sitting there holding my thumb. And Ricky looks over at me. He said, what happened? And I just held my thumb out there like that. He said, well, say something. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. And then after I said, praise the Lord, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If I hit this thumb one more time before dark, I'm going to the house and let you all have it today. Four times in one day is all I can stand. But was the devil trying to put me to the test? Yes, he was. And he was putting some pain on me, I can assure you. He was there. He was there kicking that big long screw out of that and said, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show you, God, this guy's going to get upset at you before the day's over. And that fourth time when I busted it wide open and blood come gushing out, I said, praise the king. Praise the Lord. See, so did God, did he do that to me? No, absolutely not. God did not do it to me. Now then, this next set of verses is going to tell us what weapons to use against the devil. We know what we've got to do. Paul clearly told us what we have to do. Do we have to walk in truth? Yes. I mean, if you want to keep this, do you have to walk in peace? Yes. yes. Do you have to walk in righteousness? Yes. yes. Do you have to walk in faith? Yes. yes. So to walk in faith, what do you must know before you can walk in faith? The Word. The word. You must have the Word in your heart. If you have less than a hundred scriptures committed to memory, you have very little faith. Very little. If you have less than a hundred, you have very little faith. Now then, if I can sit down with you this afternoon, and you and I can start talking about God's Word, and I can take you through a healing, and I'm sitting down with two people, one-on-one, and I can teach you for five solid hours, and never miss a scripture, and never need to open my Bible, do you have a little faith hidden in your heart? Yes. I've done that many times. Many times. Teach people the Word of God for hour after hour after hour. I've taught healing schools before without an outline, and never even need anything to refer to. But today I'm going to try to teach something in an order. So, and I mean in an order. Of course, God, you know, He gets in there and sometimes He throws my order all out. But that's okay. Whatever He wants to do, it's His business. Everything is about the Lord. Now then, the weapon. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. That's where we're going to. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What does it mean when it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal? What are carnal weapons? Knives, guns, bombs, ropes, 
wicked things that people use to hurt each other. So that's not the kind of weapons we're going to use as Christians, are we? No, we absolutely never, never pull a knife on somebody, never hurt anybody, never hit anybody. We don't use any kind of a carnal weapon to do damage. If you get mad at a Christian and you punch him in the face, what have you just done? You just sinned. You should never hit a human being. If you're a man and you ever laid a hands on your wife, I'm going to tell you God's going to hold you accountable for what you've done. If you're a woman and you ever slapped your husband, God's going to hold you accountable for what you did. Because if, let's just say you are a woman and you're a woman of God. And let's say your husband is a man of God. And you got mad at him and you slapped him. Who did you just slap in the face? God. That's right. You just slapped Jesus. Because Christ in him, the hope of glory. When you, when you begin to get a hold of that, of who you're dealing with here, it'll change the way you do business. You'll start seeing every human being as a child of the king. And you'll start walking holy before God and before mankind. Then he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, when the thoughts come to your mind, what's the first thing you should do before you act on a thought? Think about it. Think, where did this thought come from? Does this, will this glorify God? You know, is this come from me? Or did this come from the enemy? Because your mind, which is a battleground, is going to receive these inputs from three sources. Now then, you don't want to yield to the thought if it comes from the devil, do you? Now, if you're a young man, and this, this seems to be what's going on so much in the world today. If you're a young man, you're sitting home and you're watching television, you're flipping through the channels, and you come up onto one of these wicked uh, places where they've got one of these talk shows, and everybody's up there talking bad about each other and fights and squabbles and all this kind of stuff's going on on the screen, and you want to stop and meditate on that a little while, guess where that thought come from? It definitely come from the devil. It didn't come from God. I mean, I cannot believe the trash that's on the television today. I mean, just flipping between channels is all I need. I ain't going to stop and meditate on none of them. Or the nudity that's on the television. I mean, it's unbelievable what the devil has done. I mean, and we as Christians are buying into this thing. Just like, praise God for our president. For the first time, a man of God, the last eight years we've had a man in the president's office that would just absolutely, he would say gays and uh, all kinds of homosexual activities are good. And he turned to the Christians and say, no, 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 no. And then go over and tell them it's okay. And be on both the same television channel. If I ever seen a man that spoke out of both sides of his mouth and both of them was a lie, it was that man. You know, it was awesome what he did. But the devil controlled him, you know. But now then we got a man in there, President Bush, praise God. He says, a marriage should be between one man and one woman. And I praise the king for that. One man and one woman. I mean, it does not take a rocket scientist to understand when God says that whenever a man lies with a man as with a woman, it's an abomination to me. I mean, when I heard somebody here a while back say, you know, being a gay person is not in the Bible. There's no such thing as homosexuals. I said, well, in the King James, that's true. But I said, what is it you don't understand about this? God didn't use the word homosexual because a six-year-old boy wouldn't know what that was. 
as a rule. But I said when he says when a man lies with a man as with a woman, it's an abomination to God. I said even a six-year-old boy knows better than that. He knows what that means by the time he's six. So I said God made it real simple. So if God says if a woman lies with a woman or a man lies with a man, it's an abomination to God, do you think God lacks homosexuality? No. Do you think God lacks for men and women? Men and women having sex with a different partner, do you think he lacks that? When he came down, when Moses came down off of the mountain, when the million or two million people were out there having a party at the base of the mountain, and that's what they were doing, having an orgy. People were naked and drunk and everything else and worshiping a golden idol that the priest, which was Aaron, had put together. When Moses walked up and saw that and he threw the Ten Commandments down and broke those plates that God had just did, the death angel was turned loose by God. And how many people died before Moses could intercede and stop it? 23,000 people. I can just see those people laying out there having sex and everything else. And all of a sudden, the guy laying on top of a woman, he's dead. She's dead right under him. And they're just falling. 23,000 of them. How would you like to be at a party like that? No, 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 not me. No, not me. I ain't going to be in that party. I ain't going to have nothing to do with that party. I'm going to do it like God said. Now then, God said, one man and one woman, I made you. And then he said, you can have a sexual relationship. And he said, I expect you to enjoy it between one man and one woman. And then he said, I'm going to put one day out of that month where that you can reproduce. The rest of the time, it's just there for you to have fun. Isn't that amazing? That's the way God made you. You know, it's amazing how God made us. But He expects us to do what He says in His Word. Then He says, I'm going to read this same set of scriptures to you in the Living Bible. I read this. This absolutely rocked my world when I read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, 5, and 6, and 7. In the Living Bible, it says, I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men. Boy, that's clear, isn't it? To knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding Him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. Woo! Is that awesome? I will use these weapons. Get a hold of this now. I will use these weapons against every rebel who remains after I have first used them against you yourselves and you surrender to Christ. The trouble with you is that you look at me and I seem weak and powerless, but you don't look beneath the surface. Yet if anyone can clean, claim the power and authority of Christ, I certainly can. Do you think Paul knew who he was? Do you think he knew who, what his spiritual authority was? Now then, when you take a man, when I learned that verse, I'll just tell you right here a story about a man. When I learned these things, I walked up one day and to a group of men that worked for me, and they worked at night shifts, so I hardly, they come in at 10, uh, 30 at night and went home at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, so I hardly ever saw none of these guys because I come in about 7 and went home about 7 at night. You know, 12 hours for one guy, and, you know, is enough, I think, usually, unless something happens. But anyway, I thought one night I'll come in and stay in uh, till 10, 30, 11 o'clock, meet these guys, 
since I have three shifts of men, I at least need to know who's working for me. And I was talking to them all and meeting them and talking to them, asking them where they go to church. Do you believe in Jesus and all that stuff? And some of them say yes, you know. I wind up walked up to this one guy and I said, how, how are you? He said, my name's Thurman Scrivener. And he said, well, my name's so-and-so. And uh, I said, where do you go to church? Boy, like a bomb went off in him. I don't go to no blankety-blank church. If I want to be preached I'd blankety-blank go to a blankety-blank church. I said, what's your name again? He told me. He said, what do you want your, my name for? I said, you're saved and don't know it. Now, what, what did Paul tell me I could do right there? I could take them rebels and I could catch myself up into the third heaven and I got complete authority and power over that devil. Who's blinding his mind? The devil. So I, boy, the next morning on the way to work, this is about eight years ago now, the next morning on the way to work, driving down the road in my pickup, I said, Lord, I catch myself up into the third heaven where I'm seated in Christ in the third heaven. I said, Jesus, I want you, my brother, to walk into the throne room of God with me this morning. I have a request. I walked in and I said, Lord, I worship you and praise you and thank you, Father, that you're my God, that you give me the power and authority to come into your throne room with my brother Jesus by the blood of Jesus anytime I want to. I want to thank you for that, Lord. And then I said, now, Father, I want to call the devil that's right over here, the other attorney, the best attorney in the universe except for my brother Jesus. I want to call that beast in and I've got a word for him. I know you said he's standing before the throne of God accusing us day and night. So I know he's right there. So I said, Satan, get yourself in here in the name of Jesus. I said, Luke 10, 20 says, you have to be subject to me in the name of Jesus. I said, get in here. I have a word for you. I said, now, Satan, I take authority over you in the name of Jesus over this man that's down there. And I call that man's full name. I said, you have been blinding his mind to the gospel because the word of God says so. I said, Satan, you are to withdraw your spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. You are to stop blinding the mind of that man on earth in Jesus' name. I said, now then, I take authority over you, and you are to call off your demons, your spiritual wickedness in the heaven, and every demon on earth that's blinding his mind to the gospel. And I said, you're to call him off, and you're not to blind his mind no more in the name of Jesus. I said, do you understand me, Satan? That's the authority we have. So I said, now then you can go, devil. I said, now I'm going to stay up here in a few minutes and I'm just going to worship and praise the king for giving me power and authority over all the forces of darkness and putting Satan under my feet. I said, when I'm up in the third heaven, Satan, you and all of your wicked spirits is under my feet because you can't get up here where I am. Your spiritual wickedness is limited to the second heaven. Only you can come up here. And I said, so I'm taking authority over you in Jesus' name. I said, now, Father, it says nobody can be saved except they be drawn by the mighty, precious Holy Spirit. I said, Father, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit that's down on earth to that man, begin to convict that man of sin, and woo him into the kingdom of God and draw him in. And, Lord, as you convict him of sin, I ask you to send the proper labor, just like you said, into the harvest to tell that man about Jesus. Now, Lord, if I can be that labor, send me. But, Lord, if I'm not that labor... I ask you to send the right one because you know exactly who the one is that can get that man saved. But I claim that man's spirit, soul, and body for you and for service under your kingdom forever. And it's done, Lord, because it's written in your word. So thank you, Lord, for saving his soul in Jesus' name. A couple of weeks later, this man walked into my office. I went in again early. And I'm sitting in there about 4 o'clock designing a computer program and putting some data entry in there. I'm brand new at this place. They just transferred me here, so I'm having to put all these programs together. They didn't have any software. 
or nothing to write to maintain their equipment or nothing. So I'm putting all these software programs together. He walks in and said, Thurman, could I drink my coffee with, with you while you're working on the computer? I said, sure, Larry, come on in and sit down. He's sitting there drinking his coffee. He said, by the way, he said, where do you go to church? I said, I go to the First Baptist Church in Justin. He said, well, what do you think about these preachers like so-and-so that got caught up with these women a few years ago? And I said, he's a man. He made a mistake. But I said, God forgave him because he asked God to forgive him on national television. He said, well, what do you think about another preacher here that got caught up with all this money and everything and he bought all these yachts and houses and all that stuff? I said, again, he got a great big powerful ministry. I said, he got a little greedy. He went overboard. But I said, God's big enough to take care of his children. He said, don't you think those guys just want all that money so they can just do great things for themselves? I said, no, Larry. I said, the ministry costs money to run. It costs lots of money to run a ministry. I said, and God demands that we give 10% of everything we make into his kingdom. I said, but if we listen to the wrong voice, the devil will say, don't you dare go down there to that church. Because you go down to that church, all that preacher wants is your money. And I said, and so you don't want to take your hard-earned money that you make and give it to no preacher because he don't do nothing anyway. He only works about four hours a day. You know, he don't have to do nothing hard. He wears a suit and tie all the time. He don't ever get dirty. See, you ain't never been a pastor. You know, if you don't know better than that, you ain't never been in the ministry. If you're a pastor and you ain't working 12 or 14 hours a day, there's something missing. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I guess if, if we'd work, I guess we could work 24-7, I guess. I finally got to work after 11 o'clock at night. I had to disconnect my telephone because my phone rings all night long. I got to where I couldn't get any sleep. So anyway, I said, now, if you, if you listen to that voice, if you listen to that voice, that devil will blind your mind to a free gift that's been given to you. And one day, you'll close your eyes in death prematurely. And I said, you'll open your eyes in a place of torment, in hell, in a lake of fire. And the devil will say, you fool. I deceived you. The free gift of salvation was paid. And now then, I deceived you all those years. Now you're going to spend eternity in a godless hell in a lake of fire with me. And he jumped up and nearly spilled his cup of coffee. He said, I've heard that voice. He said, that devil ain't going to get me. I said, he's going to get you if you don't change your ways. He said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to go down this morning and stop by maybe Walmart or somewhere and get you a Bible. And start in the book of Matthew and start reading it. And I said, as you have questions, call me. And I'll be happy to tell you what it's saying if you don't understand it. And I said, then you'll come to know Jesus. You'll find him in the pages of the Word of God. About three weeks later, I had the privilege to lead that man to Jesus. I got him saved. Now, here is a man that every other word out of his mouth is a word of profanity. Here's a man that's been down on his back for 30 years. Here's a man that's already had surgery on one arm. And the arm... Has, uh, has finally healed, but the other one's got the same problem. And he's not going to have surgery on it because it hurts so bad. He was not going to go through that pain and torment again. Once I got him saved, all of his profanity went away. He totally became a different person. He became a possessor of eternal life. He really got something from the king. And then a few weeks later, I found out he had the problem with his arm. And I told him, I said, you know, Larry, you're a son of God now. You don't have to be sick anymore. He said, what do you mean? I said, Jesus is a healer. He said, Thurman, I went to church till I was 10 years old. And, but he said, it was a Catholic church, and I never heard anybody talk about Jesus being a healer. I said, well, what a shame. 
But I said, He is. It's in this book. I said, in fact, tonight I want you to go home and read just one promise 12 times that God made us in His Word as His children. And that's Matthew 18, 19. I said, go read the prayer of agreement 12 times and come in the morning and tell me what that says. Next morning he comes and said, Thurman, Matthew 18, 19, he says, again, I'll tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, it will be done for you. And I said, that's what he means. I mean, agree, two of us, two people on earth agree about anything. If both of you are walking in obedience to God's Word, what will he do? Anything. What is it we don't understand about anything? So I prayed the prayer of faith for him. I laid hands on him. I said, now move your arm. He tried to, and he said, it still hurts just like it always did. I said, it's not going to be a miracle healing. See, there's two ways God does things. One is like he did for that lady in here the other day, Friday, when Wendell prayed over this little lady back here. When he healed her eye right there. That's a miracle healing. I said, but it's going to be a normal healing. I said, now, you've had this problem for many years, right? He said, right. I said, go and begin to praise the Lord and thank him for the healing of your arm. In about two weeks, the guy comes screaming into my office, hands raised. I said, when did it happen? He said, I don't even know. He said, I was out there this morning putting a hydraulic pump on a truck, and I realized I had both hands over my head, and there's no pain. So he said, I caught out and said, I can't do this. And he said, I start. He said, it don't hurt at all. I said, isn't God wonderful? He healed the arm. Then about six months later, he's down in the hospital with his back. And I went up to see. There he is in traction, all spread out. And I said, what's wrong, Larry? He said, oh, Thurman, I've had trouble my back for the last 30 years. He said, the doctor tell me I've got all these degenerated discs in here now, and I'm going to have to have surgery. They've already checked it. I'm going to be in here for quite a while. I'm going to be three or four months before I can come back to work at all as, as they fuse these things together in my back. He said, my back will be stiff. I said, but Larry, you don't have to be like that. He said, what do you mean? I said, you can either believe their report or Jesus' report. I said, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, these signs shall follow those that believe. In the name of Jesus, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How hard did he make it? Isn't it so easy? I said, now, would you like to get your back healed or you want to go through that surgery? Well, he said, Thurman, that Matthew 18, 19, sure did work good on my arm. He said, if Jesus made that promise, he said, I know it'll work good on my back. Now, see, I don't, this man's been out of church all of his life. I've just led him to Jesus, so I don't have to cross-train him. He don't know nothing except what God's Word says. He's easy. If Matthew 18, 19, if he said it, he got saved reading that book. So if Jesus said anything, he believed it, brother. And when we prayed, the Lord healed his arm. Now then, he's ready to be healed of his back, right? So I just said, okay, it's done. I reached over and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. Behalf of Mark chapter 16, verse 18. I said, Larry, it's a done deal. And I said, now then, it's about 8 o'clock at night. I said, now then, in the morning, I said, just go ahead and sleep tonight. Get a good night's rest. I said, in the morning, get up, take them things off of you, put your clothes on and go home. Show God you mean business. So the next morning, he woke up, no pain. Told his wife, I said, take them things off of me so I can get out of this bed. She said, but honey, the doctor said, he said, I don't care what the doctor said. I'm going to believe what Jesus and Thurman said because he brought the word in here. So he said, a word saved me. It healed my arm, so it's going to heal my back. So she unplugged those things, took them off. He got up, put his clothes on. The doctor came and said, Larry, what are you doing? He said, Jesus has healed me. I'm going to the house. He said, you can't be going. Yeah, we just did all those x-rays yesterday. You got all those degenerated discs in your back. Said, we just put you up, stretched you out. They're just comfortable. And said, you don't have no pain. But said, you ain't going to get out this door until your back's going to fall apart again. He said, no, I'm telling you, Doc, I'm healed. Jesus does good work. 
He said, no, we ain't going to let you go home. He said, no, I'm going home. I'm going. Look, look. He said, look, I feel great. He said, nothing wrong with me. He said, no, sir, you ain't going home until we take you in there. You do, your disc is kind of stretched out and they're back in place. But they're, they're, they're same. So we're going to take you back and re-X-ray you to confirm to you your back is no better today than it was yesterday. Well, he said, okay. But he said, I'm telling you, Jesus has healed me. Now, wh- where, is the, where is the power of healing? In your mouth. And it's coming out of your heart because he read it in God's Word. They kept him there for two or three or four hours, checked him, X-rayed him, did everything. When they got through, the doctor said... I don't understand this. I don't know what happened. But there's not one single thing wrong with your back. And so he went home and that guy is now many years later. He works. He's still working as a truck mechanic. He's built him a home since then. He's cleared a piece of land to build him a home. He's moved logs and trees and all kinds of stuff. And he said, oh, thank God, Thurman, that I met you and Jesus. Now then... Now, what should every Christian on this earth be doing? The same thing I'm doing. Every one of us should be doing the same thing. I mean, am I some kind of special in God's kingdom? No, sir. Not at all, Benjamin. What's the difference between me and most Christians? I just believe the Word. I just believe God. I mean, after all, if God said it, I mean, I ought to at least believe it, right, young lady? Now then, if, if God said it and I believe it, guess what He'll do to a little three-year-old with a brain stem severed if you just say, but the, God says, right here, He said. Guess what He'll do to that brain stem? He'll hook it back together. Yes, He will. Praise God, He'll do a creative miracle for you and He'll send that little girl home running and playing with no surgeries. Of course, it was no surgeries that could put a brain stem back together. They told me there's no surgeries can reconnect her eyes. But we prayed for two solid hours about 40 people for two solid hours standing on the promises. In fact, that prayer meeting that Sunday afternoon, January the 6th of 2002, that group of people that came to pray with me, I said, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to give you six blank checks from God's Word that guarantees He'll do whatever we ask Him for. And I said, anybody don't believe God's going to open her eyes, I want you out that door. I don't want nobody in here that's got unbelief in your heart. If you don't believe He's going to do what He said He will do, I don't want you in this prayer meeting. So about 40 of us prayed, prayed two hours for Caitlin's eyes to be reconnected and worshiped and praised him and thanked him for doing it. And three weeks later, they were reconnected and she could see. And today she sees fine. She runs in place. I mean, Jesus is awesome. He's the king. A lady called me the other day and she said, Thurman, I'm not sure I need you to pray for me, but I'm not sure Jesus can heal me. I want to reach to the phone and grab her by the nap of the neck and say, Ma'am, we are not serving some fly-by-night cowboy. We are serving the king of the universe. I said, everything that you have, everything that you see, he made it all. I said, if he made all this, give me a break. He can do anything you can believe him for. In fact, he can not only do everything you can believe him for, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. You can even think or imagine, Miss Jan. It don't matter what mean you can believe. He can do exceedingly abundantly above that, can't he? Yes, he can. So it's time that we as a body of Christ started believing the King and believing these reports, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now then, Matthew uh, uh, 16. I'm going to show you Matthew 16:19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, wait a minute. I can't think of anything, if I walked up to a brand new $500,000 home, and the guy said, this is yours. I built this specially for you. What do I need next? The key. Let me have the key to the front door. Oh, and you're going to give this to me? Yeah, well, not, but I've got to have the key. You know, and when he hands me that key, and says, or if I, go, if I walk out there and some guy says, you know, Thurman, and I mean, you've got to think big now. You know, and I'm not going to be like some preachers. Some preachers say, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be humble and poor. You know, I mean, I'm not going to take anything. Anybody offers me anything. No, I'm doing what I'm doing for free. I'm doing what I'm doing for free too, but if somebody wants to give me something, I'll take it. <laughs> so I walk out that door and some guy said, I love your teaching and I've got a gift sitting outside out there for you. And if I walk out there, if it's a brand new Volkswagen, guess what I'm going to say? Praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. But what if it's a brand new Lexus? I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. Praise the King. It don't make any difference to me. The God I serve is able, just as able to give me a new Lexus as he is a Volkswagen. And I'm going to praise him for either one of them. In fact, I asked the Lord when I had that little 93 Ford Taurus that belonged to my wife and I had 165,000 miles on it. I said, Lord, I am going all over this country and I need a better car. I'd hate to go somewhere and get stranded you know, with 165,000 miles on my little Taurus. So, Lord, I need a nice car. I don't know what you got for me, but whatever it is, I want to thank you and praise you for it now. Well, there was a Baptist preacher that I knew. He was going to trade off his 97 Chrysler, which had 60,000 miles on it, 61 or 62,000. It was a beautiful car, four-door, a gold Chrysler, had everything in the world on it. And he was going to trade it off, and he was going to trade it in on a new van for his wife, and he was just going to get what he owed on the car uh, for uh, trade-in. So he tried all afternoon to get the title transferred, and the credit union just wouldn't, it just couldn't happen. He finally got so angry with these people, he said, what is it that takes so much time? I can't understand what the problem is. He said, I got angry. On the way home, I said, Lord, what is it? Am I doing something wrong? What is the deal with this car? And he said, I heard the Lord say, call Thurman. So he gets home and he says, Thurman, I may be plumb out in left field. Are you looking for a car? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, I, I tried everything to get this car swapped in on this new van I'm trying to buy and couldn't do it. And he said, on the way home, I said, God, have I missed you on this car? And he said, I heard the Lord say, call Thurman. He said, I thought if you were looking for a car. I said, I'm looking for a car. He said, I got a 97 Chrysler. And he said, uh, it's about $6,000 of what I owe on the car. And he said, I'd be willing to let you have it. Uh, he said, I'll bring it out and let you see it. I said, no, it's okay. Just, I'll just come meet you somewhere and we'll transfer the title. No, 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 I want you to see it. I said, no, if God says this is the one I'm supposed to have, there is no doubt this is the one I'm supposed to have. I said, I'll just go by the bank and get the money. He said, well, I'll come out in the morning. and we'll, we'll, I said, I'll come out tomorrow afternoon, rather, and we'll go by the credit union and see if we can get the title changed over. So I went by the bank and got $6,000 cash. Went down there, and when I got there, I said, we want to transfer the title of this car over to my name. The lady said, do you have the number? We said, yes. She said, well, just go over there and stand right there at that window, and we'll have them bring the title to you. And I walked over there and got there and walked up, and a girl walked down from upstairs, laid the title down there. The lady punched in a few numbers. She said, the payoff on the car is $5,765. And uh, I said, well, here. She said, how do you want to pay for it? I said, 
she started saying, now, if you have a check, you're going to have to prove identification and all this stuff and wait till the check clears. I said, but I didn't come. I got $100 bills right here. I started counting them out. Five minutes, we're out of there, the title's in my name, and he said, man, it's obvious that's the way God wanted it done. I spent all day yesterday trying to get that done. We was in there in five minutes. I now have about 80,000 miles on that car. He had one minute's trouble with that car. Now, did, does God know what he's doing? Did I praise him and thank him for that car? $5,765? I mean, boy, you talk about a deal. 60,000 miles on a 97 Chrysler that's got everything in the world on it. Big, beautiful car. And it gets... In fact, he said my wife drives it all the time. said she gets about 20 miles a gallon. I get 25 to 27 miles a gallon on that car. Drive it everywhere. Now, what do you, when you serve God, He makes your gas mileage better. He can do anything. You praise the King. Praise Him and worship Him. Does He think He, you, does He really know what your needs are? Absolutely. Every one of them. And so you need to praise Him and thank Him for every one of them. But He says in Matthew 16, 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Now let me tell you, brother, He didn't give me and you the keys to a home. He gave you and me the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, young lady, you look like a young lady that if I were to give you a key to just a new $200,000 house, you'd be happy, right? But our king gave you the keys to the kingdom. What does that mean to you, to have the keys to the kingdom? And then look what he says. After he says, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What kind of limitations did he give us as the children of the king? None, did he, Benjamin? No. And, and the Living Bible says, And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever doors you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. And whatever doors you open on earth will be opened in heaven. What kind of power did God give us on earth in the name of Jesus? Awesome. I mean, this is the Word. I mean, this is the Word. And in Matthew 18, 18, he goes on the next chapter. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. Now why do you think the Lord had to take two chapters there, 16 and 18, and make this statement twice? Why did he have to do that? Because, see, he did this for the men. He did that for the men. Some of you that have been in my church a while, you know this story. But I learned this with Dr. Dodson. Dr. Dodson says, I believe it's at 24 or 26 weeks in the womb of a mother, every boy has the same chemical reaction take place that burns the link in two between the right and left brain. So just like Dr. Dodson, he said it does not happen to a woman. So a woman, the left and right brain, instantly communicate just like that. I mean, she's lightning fast. But for you and you and me, we got a link severed there. So as every woman knows, you and me were born with brain damage. See? Every woman knows that. Now, if you don't believe that, you just ask the women. You know, we, they know us guys are born with brain damage. Just face it, guys. We just saw, God knew this. So he knew the women would get that on the first pass, but he knew he had to tell us guys twice. So he told us in Matthew 16 and again in Matthew 18, Again, I tell you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So he made 
the criteria in the Word of God that fit both the men and the women, with no doubt. So for us men, aren't we glad he did that, Benjamin? Aren't we glad the king said... And then he says, and again I say to you, that if two of you on earth shall agree as touching anything that you ask, it shall be done. Just like a while ago, we was back there trying to get that thing going. I couldn't get the uh, monitor on the uh, first side over there going. And I was back there doing everything. And I was working. And I was checking wires. I was doing everything. And all of a sudden, Ed back there, he says, Thurman, reckon we ought to pray? (laughs) I said, here I am supposed to be the pastor, the spiritual leader. And I'm just working figuriously. And Ed has to tell me, Thurman, what if we pray? And so we did. And guess what happened? In just a couple of minutes, we found the problem. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? See, what does one man do to another man? Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. I don't care who you are. How long might I have messed with that? But Ed says, Thurman, don't you think we ought to pray? You think that was good advice? I think that was the best advice I could get. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, now then, Romans ten eight, the power of your confession. You speak things into being with your mouth. Now, of on your spiritual authority, this is the thing that I have learned, that, and I've done many teachings on the tongue. Right here, we've talked about the tongue and the power of your confession. Let me tell you this, right here, just talking about the Romans 10, talking about the power of confession. As you go to Romans chapter 10, the, whose report will you believe? Romans 10:16 says, whose report will you believe? Either the Lord's. Or the devil's. There's only two reports. But the Lord says, believe his report. He says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Now, let's put it this way. Your miracle is near you. Your miracle is in your mouth and in your heart. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, whatever is in your heart, where is it going to come out? Your mouth. Now, if you're willing to confess what the word says... What can you do with God's Word if it's in your heart and it comes out of your mouth? Anything, anything. There's no limits to what it will do. Now then, is it going to happen instantly every time? No. That's the secret. It will not happen instantly. So when you start speaking and exercising your spiritual authority, start kicking out demons, let me tell you this. Sometimes you'll take a little demon... And you'll have a little principality. You'll kick him out. He'll be gone and the person will be instantly healed. And you think, boy, this is... And that's what happened to me when I first got into this. The Lord didn't put me up against a ruler of darkness day one. Because he knew I couldn't handle it. I mean, it'd be kind of like taking a little guy this big and telling him instead of hitting those little things to drive them down like you would, you tell him, there's my car out there, son, go out there and fix it. You know, I mean, that's kind of... Absurd, isn't it? So you got to start us out where we are. So the Lord started me out with little simple demons. And when I started speaking to these things and laying hands on the sick and they started getting instantly healed, I thought, boy, this is easy. This is so simple. And then one day I run into a big one. And he didn't go. In fact, he talked back. And that kind of scared me. I mean, the first demon I saw manifest in a human being, it rattled my cage. I mean, to cast out a demon's one thing, but to see a man, when you start talking about demons, to see him, you know, come up and his face all clenches and his eyes turn green and they get about this big around and, and, and everything else, and you think, 
Ooh, what am I up against here? Well, it's just a bigger demon. That's all. But I have total, complete authority over Satan himself. You do too. Providing you're walking holy before God. Now, if you're walking in disobedience and you're walking in sin, then who's your master? The devil. And you can't tell him where to go if you're serving him, right? No, sir, you cannot. So you must make sure that you learn the power of your confession. Because the world you live in, your miracle is in your mouth. When I start listening to people talk, when people say, I say, they come in and say, I say, what's, what's the problem? Well, I've got a list. I've got a long list. And I mean, you'd be amazed at the people that's come up with everything wrong with them on a list, a page long. In fact, I went down to uh, Thomason, to Pleasant Valley, just a few weeks ago. Some of you may know about uh, uh, Pleasant Valley Church and the healing ministry they have down there. It's a tremendous ministry, and Brother Henry Wright has learned a lot of things about healing. And he started out as a single, single man. I mean, when I say single, he had a family. That's not what I meant, but as one person in the healing ministry. And now he's built a tremendous healing ministry down there. And people from all over the world, there's about 200 people every two weeks comes to Pleasant Valley that are sick and afflicted to get healed. And they have about a 90% healing rate that comes out of there. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Pretty awesome. But they had some tough ones. And uh, they somebody from this church... Uh, I think it was one of Phil's, I believe, his mother-in-law or something had come here and she'd got some of my tapes. She sent him a bunch of my tapes. He called me and said, I've gone to bed and woke up listening to your tapes. He said, I've, we've got three women down here we can't get healed. He said, would you be able to come down and spend a week or two with us? And I told him, well, I would come and take a week and I'd go down there and spend a week with them. And I went down there and this one woman, she called me about two or three weeks before I was getting ready to go down there. And she said, they tell me you're coming to minister to me. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I have this and this and this and this and this and this. And, I, and after about 50 minutes, I said, ma'am, let me interrupt and tell you what your problem is. But she said, I have this and this and this and this. And after about five or ten more minutes, I said, ma'am, uh, could I tell you what your problem is? And she said, but I have this and this and this. And I just screamed at her. I said, ma'am, would you please shut up? She said, what do you mean? I said, all you've done for the last several minutes is tell me what your problem is. I said, you're speaking nothing but the devil's world ever since I've been on the phone with you. I said, why don't we start talking God's word a little bit and quit giving the devil so much glory. But they're going to have these symptoms. I said, I know that. I understand that. And I don't, you know, I, I, I know that the devil can put those symptoms on you. I know what he can do. But I said, you don't have to agree with them. I said, if you agree with him, you're going to have them. You're going to give him legal right. You're giving him glory. He's continued to make you sick. So I talked to her, I don't know, four or five times, three or four or five times before I went down there. And then I spent many hours, at least two hours every day, nearly, with this woman and a couple of other ladies. And this lady could not, she'd bought a new home. She could not live in her house. She couldn't, she'd sleep out in her car outside and sleep in her pickup because when she walked in that house, all kinds of symptoms come upon her. She couldn't cook in that house. I told her it's just the devil, and I showed her her authority and everything. Well, this woman had her sins confessed. She just didn't know who she was in Christ. The other day she called me. She said, I'm taking back my ground. She said, I'm sleeping in my house. I'm sleeping in my bed. I'm cooking in my house. I'm eating in my house. She said, slowly but surely, I'm taking back all of what the devil's stolen from me. Now, when, 
when you get a hold of who you are and what you can do in the name of Jesus. I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean we have the keys to? The kingdom. Everything is ours. Now then, when you learn that the power of this battle is fought uh, by words, if we're, we're got, I'll tell you this little story to start off on a spiritual authority, since we're talking about spiritual authority. Most people don't believe God. I mean, even in the church, you'll hear people say, yes, I have great faith. Yes, I believe God. And when I talk to them in a few minutes, I find out that's not true. Well, that's not, absolutely not true. They don't believe. But I'll tell you a story about a man that uh, had been up and preached to a bunch of people in a foreign country. And they, several of them accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So a few months later, he got a message from one of them. says, we need you to come up here and come up here quick. So he went up there. And when they got there, they said that we're reading this book you give us called the Bible. And said it hadn't rained in 18 months. And said the, the people that lives on this side of us, they've got the witch doctor out here. And he prayed over their crops to bring rain. And they had to pay him chickens. Well, this one on this side did the same thing. And the witch doctor came and prayed over them. And they had to pay him chickens. But he said, we're reading in this. We don't find anywhere in this where God requires any chickens. <laughs> so we want you to pray with us that our crop will be a, the best crop we've ever had. He said, I looked at the crop and it was dead. I mean, it was dried up and it was dead. And he said, we read in this book where that uh, Joshua took a bunch of people and walked around the city of Jericho seven days in a row and then they shouted and God even made the walls fall down. So he said, if he can do that, he can make our crop grow. So we want you to walk around our field. Well, he said, it's only about three or four acres, a little field. But he said, we want you to walk around this field with us seven times and ask God to do a miracle and give us the best crop we ever had in the name of Jesus. He said, okay, let's do it. So he said, we walked around that field seven times. I asked the Father in the name of Jesus to give them the best crop they ever had in Jesus' name. He said, now you guys know this requires obedience. They said, we also found that out when we read the Word. He expects us to walk in obedience to His Word, to walk in love. So about three months later, he said, I was back up there in that area. I went up there to preach one day. He said, they had somebody that was speaking in this little old church. He said, I got up there and said, there was nobody in town. Everybody was gone. I said, where's all these guys at? They said, they're out there harvesting the crop. And he said, they're harvesting the crop? He said, has it rained? They said, no. And had a drop of rain three months. So he said, I go out there, and that little three or four acre patch was the most beautiful, green, luscious crop, the biggest crop, the massive one they had ever had, and everything on both sides of it was totally dead. But these guys were out there harvesting this magnificent crop, and it had not rained a drop in three months. What can God do? Have we cut the king short? I mean, we've cut him short. When he says, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can even think or imagine, according to the power that's where? In you. That's just a brother of he knows where it's at. It is amazing how we don't believe God's Word. But now then, uh, I'm going to also tell you also, and some of you may be here for the first time, we have all kinds of audio and video tapes back there. The audio and video tapes are free. I've never sold any of them. We give everything we do away. 
But we do have a donation box up here at the front. If you do want to give for those, you're welcome to put that money in there because that is the way we keep this ministry going. So, And it does cost money, as all of you know. But the Lord meets our needs, so praise the King. Now then, I want to go to on the spiritual authority. We want to go on to Colossians chapter 2 and start with verse 14 and 15. And I want to show you some of the things that God has done for us through His Son. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Now, Look at what the next verse says. And having spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers. Now, principalities and powers, have you heard that word before? Principalities and powers. That was what Paul said we were fighting against over in Ephesians 6, right? And having spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers. Now, if they are disarmed, how much power or armament do they have? None. Okay, so we all understand disarmed, right? And having spoiled or disarmed the principalities and power, he made a show of them openly, completely triumphing over them in it, the cross. So when Jesus died on that cross, did he completely destroy the works of the devil? Did he disarm him totally, completely? Does Satan have any power over you? Absolutely not. Until you do what? When you sin... In other words, if you're over here in God's camp, if right over here is God's camp, and this is where all the abundant life and everything is, and out there is the world, and that's where sin, sickness, disease, and everything else is, if you stay over here and walk holy before God and stay in obedience to His Word underneath His protective umbrella, and you're not walking in any kind of sin, can the devil get in here to afflict you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. First John 5.18 says that when you do not sin, you keep yourself holy in the Lord's presence. Satan cannot touch you. But what if you walk out here in the world? So I'm going to go out here and see how it is over here. Now that when you walk out here where the enemy is, where there's sickness, disease, killing and destroying and all this stuff, and you're out here walking in his kingdom, now then when you sin, what's he going to do to you? He's going to get you. Yeah, because he knows, if, in other words, just think, if you were in the Army, <clears throat> and you're over here in the U.S. Air Force, or U.S. Army, or U.S. Marines, and you're over here with all these guys, and you've got all these earthly weapons and everything else, and you're all protected, and you've got a tank, and all of a sudden you say, well, I'm, going, I'm a tank driver, so I'm going to drive my tank out here. So you drive your tank, which has got all this armor plating, you drive right out here in the middle of the armed forces, and all they've got is little 50 caliber machine guns, and the little rifles and everything, as long as you stay in that tank with six-inch armor plate on it, you can run through his camp pretty safe, can't you? What if you say, well, I'm going to get out and see what he looks like out here, and you get up out of that armored tank, and you step outside. Now then, all he's got the 45. What can he do to you, brother? You had it, hadn't you? He puts that 45 between your eyes, and he blows your head off. He can kill you. That's what we do as Christians when we step outside of that armament of that tank, when we step out and step into the devil's world and start sinning with him. You might step out there and the devil will walk up to you and say, but you know, uh, you're a company, you're a businessman, you know, won't you just take that little bribe under the table? Just it's only a thousand dollars. Nobody will ever know. That ain't truth, is it? No, you just put a chink in your armor when you reached out and took that money and now then the devil has legal right to you. 
You've just sinned against God. And so the devil's going to get you. When the Lord told you to put on all of the armor, He told you to walk in holiness, righteousness, peace, and truth, and everything. That's what He meant, wasn't it? When you walk holy before God, you don't open none of these doors to the demonic world. And let me tell you, it pays great dividends to walk holy before God. Great dividends. The devil can't make you sick. He can't afflict you. And then you'll be just like that guy the other day. I happened to watch a little news when we first went to war in the Middle East. And a guy was driving a tank. And he said, we drove up over the hill. And he said, there was a bunch of uh, uh, the uh, enemy that came against us. And he said, they had guns. And of course, these guys in a tank. And he said, they started shooting at us with their rifles. He said, what did you do to them? He said, simple. We just killed them. That's how simply we just killed them. I mean, here they are in an armor-plated tank, and these guys step out in front of them. they got a great big gun, machine guns and everything else all over this thing. And these guys step out there with a little dinky rifle and start shooting at a tank. We know they're the enemy. I mean, these guys in this tank totally safe. What would you do? What do you think he's going to say? We got out and tried to catch them by hand? No, he said, we just killed them. We just blowed them away. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, when you're in the military... You're over there. It's either your life or their life. I don't know about you, but I was in Vietnam, and I wasn't going to give my life for none of those people. I mean, although I loved them people, I was sent over there by my government to fight a war. And I was going to go over there fully with the intention of coming back. And that's what people did not understand. Is there anybody here that in this room today that was in Vietnam? One man. One man. If you were in Vietnam, you saw some stuff. I mean, there was people. I mean, you never knew who your enemy was over there. I mean, you didn't know. I mean, you could have a woman in a rice paddy planting rice. And she could have a submachine gun strapped between her legs. And she could be out there planting rice. And 30, 40, 50 GIs, she's just out there down in that water planting that rice and everything. And all boat, nobody ever thinks nothing about that little woman. And all of a sudden, everybody gets by. She sews that dress up, pulls that thing up, and she kills every one of them. And then whenever one of them got killed, the news would say, and these bunch of GIs killed a little woman right out in the rice paddy. Yeah, you killed her because she was the enemy. People just didn't know. And the news didn't do us no justice over there either. I'll say that. But anyway, that's the way war is. That's the way the devil fights. But that's the way he fights with you today. You can be walking totally holy before God, and you walk into his camp and you make one little mistake and one little sin, and he immediately attacks you or your spouse or your children. And we have never put it together in a church that sin is what opens the door to the devil. And then you tell somebody, well, you're sick, so you're sinning. Well, I don't sin. But I can tell you about a man that's come to this church. This man was a man of God that two and a half years ago, that man was down with a back injury. And he was down on his back for a year flat prostrate. And he was a man of God. And then he was up walking a little for another year. And then... When he got to where he could get around, after about a year, he happened to get two of my tapes called the Palestine 1 and 2. Some of you may have heard those two stories, those two tapes. tapes. There's two hours and 45 minutes worth of teaching on those two tapes. When he and his wife and another man was going to West Texas, 
on the way out there, he had listened to all two hours and 45 minutes worth. At the end, he said, God, everything that man said on those tapes is your word. He said, if all that's true, why have I been sick the last two years and down in my back? And he said, God spoke to him and said, because of your unbelief. He said, Lord, I repent. And instantly driving along right there in the car, he was instantly healed. That's all he had to say. I repent. First time I told the story, I said, he said, I repent and Lord, I ask you to heal me. And I told him he was sitting right over here in a chair that day and he stood up and said, no, Thurman, that's not true. I said, well, how did it work? He said, I just said, God, I repent of my sin and my unbelief. And he said, that's all I had to say. And he instantly healed me right there. Will unbelief keep you from getting healed? Yes, Yes, it will. I mean, people say, but I believe. Oh, you do? You just went to the doctor. The doctor said, that pain you have in your chest, uh, we just know you're going to have a need of... a bypass of some kind of surgery. In fact, we already went in there and done a check on you, and we, we see you got two arteries partially plugged and one 90% plugged, and if you don't have a, a open-heart surgery, you're, you could die any time. You're going to find out who you believe. Right there, you're going to find out. And you know, 999 and 9 tenths percent of the Christians, they get that kind of report, who are they going to believe? The doctor. You tell them, trust God? But determined. you're crazy. Most preachers will tell me, you mean to tell me you're going to say God can heal me? I'm going to say, yeah, God can do anything. He's going to do anything you can believe Him for. If you don't believe He can do that, then go ahead and let them doctors cut you open and pay $150,000 and then be back in six, eight months or a year and have it done again. If you don't learn where it's coming from and how to walk in faith, what faith is, the enemy will do that to you again and again. And again, until he kills you. But this book is full of promises. And you're going to find out today that in the church, unbelief is rampant. Unbelief is rampant. We don't believe the promises of this book. Now then, in America today, in the workplace or anywhere else, you start just talking about Jesus, and most of them will cause you, tell you, you can't do that. Can't do that. Just think, can you imagine this? I mean, this is hard for people to believe. Can you imagine a man that prays with his men every morning, asks the Lord to protect them from the evil one, protect them from physical harm, has a perfect record for two years with a a group of 35 men that's working in a maintenance field and no injuries, no accidents, no nothing, and praying for them every day. And then when I pray for other people in the workplace, God would have done awesome miracles. And the last one he did in May a year ago in that place, was a woman fell into a big oven and burned all the skin off the bottom of her arm when she fell in this big oven. And I run up and everybody's trying to doctor her. It's kind of like me and Ed a while ago when here I am trying to doctor this machine and Ed thinks of the right thing. He said, well, Thermo, why don't you just pray? See, isn't that amazing? Well, that's what everybody was doing that day. They were all trying to doctor her and I ran up and I prayed. Because just like back there, after Ed said pray, me and him prayed in a few minutes we found the problem. <laughs> It's amazing. But with her, I just run up and quoted Isaiah 53, 4, that Jesus bore her pain so she wouldn't have to bear it. And then I quoted Mark 16, 18, that says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then I said with my mouth, I guarantee, ma'am, you will get a supernatural healing from the king. Now then, Mark eleven twenty three says, if I speak... Whatever I say, I will have. Whatever I say, if I say it in faith. And that woman 
at 5 o'clock in the afternoon when she got burned, within 30 minutes she had no pain in that arm, although she's got this humongous blister all over the bottom of this arm, and everybody gets to see it all evening. She goes ahead and serves the evening meal in the cafeteria where everybody can see this big old burn, and many people tried to get her to go to the doctor, and she would not go. She got home that night after work. Her husband saw this thing. He tried to take her to emergency. She refused to go because it didn't hurt. She said, no, if it bothers me, we'll go in the morning. She woke up the next morning, and when she did, her arm looked just like mine does. Is that an awesome Jesus, brother? Now then, you've got to realize that God is a God of faith. Now, by allowing that blister to stay there all afternoon long, everybody got to see it. And the next morning when they come in, or the next afternoon when she came in, when they looked at her arm, and there's not even a mark, there's no doubt who showed up for that lady, right? I mean, if you get a burn on your arm, you ever had a burn anyway, young lady, in a kitchen or whatever? It didn't heal in about 12 hours, did it? No. Most burns do not. Is it a possibility to get it healed in 12 hours? Yes, it is. How do we get it done? Instead of speaking, I am burned, and telling all your friends, look at my bad burn, I guess it'll take two or three or four, five or six weeks for this to heal, you should start confessing God's Word, right? Go to a prayer mate of some kind, prayer partner, and ask them to agree in prayer with you. Lord, that you'll do a supernatural healing on my finger, that I have no pain, because you bore my pain, because you said that in Isaiah 53, 4. And then, Lord, thank you, for completely healing my finger and doing it supernaturally in Jesus' name. Ask Him and believe it's done. What kind of authority do we have on earth? All power and all authority has been given to us as sons and daughters of the King of the universe. Our daddy is a faith God. And it says in the, in the Living Bible in uh, Colossians 2, it says, And I've blotted out the charges proven against you, the list of His commandments which you had not obeyed, he took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to the Christ's cross. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and God openly dismayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Is that good news? So when you come to Christ, all of your sins are forgiven when you come to Christ. All of them. Now then, when you become a possessor of eternal life, I've heard many people say, well, when you come to Christ, you must repent and you must confess all of your sins. Do you have to confess your sins to get saved? No, absolutely not. Nowhere in the Word of God does it ask, say you are to confess your sins. Now then, if you're, if you're a normal, say, 30-year-old man or 30-year-old woman, and you come to know Jesus... At 30 years of age, do you know how many sins you've committed from the zero to 30? You wouldn't have a clue. There is no way you could confess every sin. So the Lord didn't tell you to confess sin. He said, just come to me and accept me as Lord and Savior, and I'll just blot out and wash away all of your past sins. If He washed away and forgave all of your sins, then how many is left? None. So are you, if you committed a sin when you were 15 and you got saved at 20, do you have to confess that sin of 15? No. You really don't. You really don't. All you've got to do is say, Lord, from this day forth, I'm clean 
My, my, the blood of Jesus has washed away all of my sins. Now then, I'm righteous and holy, and I'm going to go on. Now then, let's say that next week, you make another little mistake and you sin. What do you got to do now? Now then, you got to confess it. It's not forgiven until you confess it. When you confess that sin, what happens? The blood of Jesus washes it away. What if you don't confess that sin? What does that do? Opens the door to the devil. And he comes in to kill, steal, and to destroy. So you've got to, re- got to realize these things. In Colossians 1, uh, chapter, 12, or chapter 1, verse 12, says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the uh, inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now think about this. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His Son. So when you became a born-again Christian, you were a member of the kingdom of darkness, and He delivered you from that kingdom and translated you into the kingdom of light. So you've you've changed masters. Now then, here's the thing we need to tell the church that we've not done a good job on. When you come out of that kingdom and you come into this kingdom, the devil, he had you then. Now he has lost you. Now he's going to declare war on you. He's going to declare war on you. Now that he's going to have a demon falling right along beside you all the time. And you, J.C., every time you make a mistake of any kind, he's going to say, Demons, you, two of my best demons go up there. I see this guy's going to be a preacher. He said, I want this guy put down. If that guy even thinks about sinning, I want you to put thoughts in his mind to get him to sin. And as soon as he sins, I want you to get in him and start killing him. That's what they're doing. Now then, if they get through to you and you sin, and a demon comes into you and he starts killing you, which he can't. If, you, if a demon comes in, and sometimes I've had them come in to me since I've learned these things, I've been walking in total health, and I've made a little sin and instantly be sick with a splitting headache. Just make the wrong statement. Just say something wrong. And immediately, the devil would make me sick. He'd put something on me. I'd repent. Immediately I knew what I'd done. Lord, I spoke evil against that guy. Lord, I made a wrong kind of statement. Lord, I'm trusting this instead of you. And Lord, I I spoke that verbally, so I sinned. So Lord, I repent in the name of Jesus. Forgive me. And he said, good, it's done. I said, okay, devil. Now then, and now you're still sick. Who got in? The devil. Now what do you got to do to the devil? Cast him out. So now you say, devil out in the name of Jesus. I've confessed my sin out in Jesus' name. And what if he happens to be a ruler of darkness? He bows up to you and said, I ain't leaving. I ain't, but you ain't got legal right no more. He said, oh, I don't have. He said, maybe I don't. But he said, let's see you drive me out. Hmm. See, some of them are a little tough. Yeah, a little tough. And you're thinking all of a sudden, out, devil, in the name of Jesus. He said, I ain't leaving. I ain't leaving. He said, the Word of God says. And you've been doing this for two days and you're still sick. And all of a sudden you say... This stuff don't work. He said, I got you. I got you. It's a done deal now. I beat you. I beat you. And then the devil stands before God and says, Now, God, look at your stupid little son down there. I mean, he, I mean, yeah, I knew he sinned and I sent that demon. He got in him. He got in him. He got in him legally. 
The Lord says, I know, but he confessed his sin. He said, I know. And you hear him casting that demon out? He is trying everything. He was trying, but he wasn't sure. Since he can't see me, he wasn't sure what he was doing. And I continued to tell my demon, whatever you do, you don't leave him. You don't leave him. And you see that second day, he said, this stuff's not working. I got him right there. And God says, that's right. You beat me. But see, if you don't give up, if you know who you're fighting against, and you know he's defeated, you know that you've got to stand on the Word. Once you've got your sin confessed, you don't take no for an answer. I mean, it don't make no difference how big that demon is. This guy right here, big as he is, if I knew that I was a police officer and had a 45 on my hip, and I told him, I said, I want you to go outside. He said, I ain't going. I said, oh, you ain't? He said, I just changed my mind. I got a persuader that makes me and him more even size. See, well, that's what you got to use against the devil. You got to take the word, and as you take the word, when you really get bold and violent with the devil, when that demon rears up in you and he says, I ain't going. If you're really standing on the word, there's no doubt when your brother steps out of you right beside you and says, Devil, what did you not understand about what my son said? He said, Master, I was just getting ready to leave. You see what's going on? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the Lord knows you're doing it in faith from His Word, totally. Boy, when He steps out of you and says, Devil, demon, what do you not understand about what my son said? He said, Master, I, I, I heard him, and I was just getting ready to leave. I was just trying to stay a little while. Now, this is really what's going on. This is really what's going on, folks. And when you learn these things... You'll, you'll learn that you can drive out sickness and disease and you don't have to put up with it. I had a man here just the other day. I don't remember who it was, but some man, I don't remember who this was. He came up here right here and he said, you know, I've learned things in this church that I've never learned. And he said, I had a back problem. And was that you, Dick? Oh, okay. Come up here and tell that story again. Come up here and tell us about you and your wife, right? Tell us th- this testimony. And, uh, several years ago, I had a catch right inside my right shoulder blade. And it, w- it, would, it would cough and breathe. It would shoot right into my lung. And it took about six, seven, eight weeks to get rid of it. And I got rid of it on my own. And, and so I hadn't had that for years. And just two or three weeks ago, that hit me again. And, oh, I thought, oh, my goodness. But I've been listening to him. And I said, Lord, what sin did I commit? That was an open door for the enemy to attack me there. And he said, you've had a critical spirit the last 24 hours. I repented, and in 24 hours, I was healed. I can, I can breathe, cough, death. I mean, I am healed because I confessed my sin. It really, it was, I was just very happy about that. Tell, tell us then what happened when you went home with your wife. Well, then I went home and I shared that with Betty, and she says, "Well, you know," and she's and she had a catch in her hip, and uh, and had trouble sitting and walking. I mean, it was just very painful for her. And when I shared what happened to me, she says, "You know, maybe I've been guilty of the same thing." So she confessed it and asked the Lord to forgive her, and in 24 hours she was healed. Isn't that amazing? That is good. Isn't that amazing? Now, what does sin do to you? It gives the enemy legal right to you. So, when we 
start getting any kind of pain or anything in our physical body, what should be the very first question we ask the Lord? Lord, where have I missed it? What have I done? What door have I opened to give Satan legal claim to attack me or my children? Now, there was a, a couple that uh, was at the healing school a few uh, months ago, in fact, in November, uh, last November, that had the, a little boy, and this little boy had a problem eating. Every time he would eat, he was seven years old, and every time he would eat something, and if he didn't take this uh, uh, enzymes or whatever it was they had to give him, he'd throw up his food in a little while. So they finally found out they could give him this whatever it was, and if they give it to him, he wouldn't throw up near as much. So they brought him to a healing school. And he listened all day, all afternoon, uh, four or five hours of teaching, and then he came up for prayer. I told him, you have to believe Jesus now. You have to believe. Which means when I cast this demon out of you and lay hands on you, you've got to believe it's done. Which means you go home, you don't take no more medicine. You show the Lord, you believe Him instead of the world system. And so the little boy believed me. And I prayed for him, rebuked the devil, and commanded him to leave and told him, I said, now you're healed. He said, I'm healed. So he goes home and he eats that evening. Mama says, here's your uh, medicine. He said, I don't need it, Mama. Jesus healed me. She said, well, come on now, Cody. You know that you've got to take your medicine. He said, no, Mama. Uh, Brother Thurman said, I- I'd show that I don't believe God if I take my medicine. She said, now, if you throw up, I'm going to spank you. He said, that's okay, Mama. I'm going to trust Jesus. Seven years old. He's willing to take a spanking to trust Jesus. He didn't get sick. In fact, he had never been sick. Last month, they were at the healing school. They came up and stood up in a chair to give his testimony, because standing in a chair, he's only about this tall. And he said he had not been sick. And not one time since November, and he could eat anything he wants to. And then his mother said, and a few weeks ago, I came down with a big boil on my side. And then the next morning, I had two of them on there and said, I panicked. There was a great big red spot on my side. She said, I called the doctor. And Cody said, Mama, what did you call the doctor for? Well, she said, son, look at this. She said, don't you remember Brother Thurman said, that's just demons. And we have authority over them in the name of Jesus. said, Mama, I'm going to pray for you and Jesus is going to heal you. So she said, my little seven-year-old recently laid his hands on my side and said, Satan, I rebuke you, command you to take your hands off my mama in Jesus' name. said, Lord, thank you for healing my mama. She said, within one hour, they were half the size. I canceled my doctor's appointment. The next morning I woke up, there was not a sign of those balls on my side. Where do they come from? From the enemy. From Satan. How much authority? How big do you have to be? A little bitty seven-year-old. Now, I'll start saying, when us big guys like you and me, brother, when a great big old boy like you starts getting that kind of faith, you can kick out some devils, you know it? If a seven-year-old can kick them out, what can me and you do, huh? It don't make no difference. It ain't me and you. It's Jesus and the Word that does it, right? You can be a little bitty or great big. It don't make no difference to the devil and God just as long as you're speaking His Word. He's the one. He's our big brother. When he steps out, it don't make no difference whether you're little or big like you and me. The devil, when he sees it spoken in faith, and our brother steps out of us and says, Devil, you heard what my son said, didn't you? Guess what? The devil goes away. The spiritual authority that we have is absolutely awesome. Now, we have authority over Satan and his demons. Now, then, let's see what we can do next. Now, I want you to... this. When I got revelation in this verse, this is one of the most powerful verses I've ever learned. 
This is Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Uh, This verse is an awesome verse. Listen to what this verse says. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, Satan and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They, Satan and his demons, shall in no wise hurt you. Be not thankful that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather be thankful your name is written in heaven. What kind of power has He given you and me right there, brother? All power. Behold, I, the King is talking. Behold, I, Jesus, give unto you, my church, authority or power to trample on Satan and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Be not thankful that they have to be subject to you. What does that mean? How do we get, how do we fight that battle? With our tongue. The demons of hell have to be subject to us in the name of Jesus with the words that we speak out of our mouth. When you speak God's word, just like little Cody, he spoke God's word. Mama, don't you remember what Brother Thurman said? He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. And it can be seven years old. In the name of Jesus, we shall cast out devils. We shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So, Mama, I'm going to lay my hands on you and I'm going to command that demon to leave you. And how many little boys love to kick the devil out of their mamas anyway? Isn't that awesome? I mean, every little boy would love to kick a demon. If a demon comes into his mama, he, if he just knew, he'd kick that devil out in Jesus' name. And mama gets healed. And then she stands up and gives us the testimony. That's awesome to see the Lord do those kind of things. But it confirms he's still alive and well, right? Praise the King. I mean, praise the King. Now, if all power is given in Jesus' name, when Jesus went back to heaven, what did Jesus say? What kind of authority did He pass to us? Look at what He said in Matthew 28, verse 18. Now, let's go to Matthew 28, 18. Let's see what kind of authority the King left us, the church. In Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, how much power is given to the King? All. All. Where? I mean, when he defeated the devil, when he came to this earth and the devil killed him on that cross, when he put him on that cross and he literally killed him, how much legal claim did Satan have to Jesus? None. But he did what to him? He killed him anyway. The Word of God says, if Satan and his forces of darkness had known what they were doing, they would have in no wise crucified the Son of Glory. Satan was dumb. The minute he killed an innocent man, if you go out and kill an innocent man, what's the law authorities going to do to you? They're going to put you up, maybe even kill you, right? They have the authority to do that. And that's exactly what happened in the judicial system of heaven. Satan killed a man he had no claim to. The first man in 4,000 years that he had no legal claim to. He deceived man in the garden and got legal claim to all of man. And he killed us, absolutely killed us right and left all through for 4,000 years. And he did it with absolutely no problem because he had legal claim to all of us. 
But Jesus came with no sin. He came from the Father. He didn't come from Joseph. He came from the Father. But He had to be born of a woman to become a human being because the earth belongs to man. Only man can have legal authority over the earth. Now, you notice that Jesus did all kinds of miracles when the Holy Ghost came upon Him in the last three and a half years. But once He died on that cross, and once He went into the lowest pits, and then He came forth the victor when He came forth and He walked on the earth for 40 days. How many miracles did Jesus do in the last 40 days before He went back to heaven? None. That's absolutely right, brother. Not one. Why could He not do it? Because He's God now. And He can't touch the earth because He's no longer just a man. He's taken His deity back upon Him. The earth, has to, it has to be done through a man. Now then He says, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power, all authority is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now then, in verse 20, which I don't have that on here, but verse 20, he says that we are to go and do everything and teach the new disciples to do everything he commanded them to do. If we're supposed to go and do everything he commanded them to do, what did he command them to do? Greater works. That's absolutely right. Now then, when we go, when we, we look at the, uh, all this power and authority that's been given to us, how many of you know that there's so many people on the earth that's lost today, even in your own families? Then if those people are lost, then what is the problem? Your answer, answer is in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4. Now, this is the authority, that as we speak about spiritual authority, I want you to see who has blinded the mind of these people. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Who is the gospel hidden to? Those that are lost. It's not hidden to you and me because we've accepted Jesus. So if, you're, if you are lost, it's, you're, it's blinded your mind. In whom the God of this world, verse 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, who is it that's blinding the mind of everybody that's lost? Satan. Satan. How much power do you have over him? So why don't we start doing something as the church? Why don't we start taking authority over the devil and kicking the devil out of people's lives? Why don't we start catching ourselves up into the third heaven? Start calling the devil in, just like I did for that man Larry. Kick that devil out. And tell... In other words, have you ever wondered like I did for years? You'd be sitting there and you'd say, You know, here's a precious lady over here. This lady got saved when she was a young woman. I just know. For some... Why did she get so gloriously saved? And then here... I mean, I'll just use this as an example. Here's Benjamin. Maybe he was raised up in South Africa, and he didn't have nobody to teach him the gospel. And for years and years and years, he was lost. And finally, late in life, for some strange reason, he came to know Christ. I think. And then there's another man that lived right down the street from Benjamin that's older than him. That Benjamin, since he's got saved, tried to tell that man about Jesus, about heaven. He said, I'm not interested. 
I think, what is the difference? I'll tell you, I've learned. Somebody, now what I've told you, this may not be true about these people. I'm just using them as an example. Somebody in Jan's home was praying for her diligently from the day she was born. Somebody was praying for her salvation. Her mother, her father, her grandmother, grandfather, somebody knew their spiritual authority. They was praying that this little girl would get saved and God sent the Holy Spirit at their request and saved her. But Benjamin, there was somebody that finally got light of this in his family, but he was much older. And finally, that person began to pray for Benjamin to get saved. And he was years older when he got saved. But the man that lived down the street from him, nobody had ever prayed for him. Nobody kicked the devil out of him. So his mind was blinded to the gospel. And he goes to his death in his grave. And he dies without Christ. And he winds up in hell. And I used to say, Lord, why did she get saved so early? Why did he get saved when he did? Why does this man not accept you? Well, here's the answer right here. They're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the gospel. If the God of this world has blinded their mind to the gospel and God has given the church complete power and authority over Satan and his demons, then anybody you know that is lost and dying and going to hell, it's shame on you because you, as a born-again believer, have not caught yourself up into the third heaven, like Hebrews 4.16 says, and worshipped and praised the king and give the devil a command and told him to get his filthy hands off of your loved ones, and then ask the Father in the name of Jesus to send the mighty Holy Spirit that's down here on this earth to begin to convict and woo and draw that person into the kingdom of God and save them, and then ask the Lord to send the proper labor into the harvest to bring those people into the kingdom of God. When you start doing that, I don't care who they are, they'll get saved. Somebody said, well, Thurman, God wouldn't never go over a human being's will. I'll say that's true. But I will say, when the Holy Spirit starts convicting you, let me ask you this question. How many of you in here just easily came to Christ without any struggle? Some of y'all fought tooth and nail, right? Now, why did you get saved and the one right down the street from you that maybe wasn't near as mean as you was, why did they not get saved? Why did you get saved? Because somebody was praying the prayer of faith for you, brother. Somebody was praying. Maybe a mother somewhere. Who knows? Some mother's at home on her knees saying, God. In fact, I know of a preacher that when he, he, his mother and daddy both were strong Christians. And this boy got off into a rock concert group and he loved playing and singing and all that stuff. And his mother prayed and she'd pray. And, and one day he was in a honky tonk out in West Texas. I mean, there was, there was nobody knew where they was. And all of a sudden the phone rang. And the man, he said, it's, it's your mother. He says, my mother, said, my mother don't have a clue where I am. See, so goes, this has got to be somebody. Goes there, picks up, said, hello. Said, son, this is mom. How in the world do you know where I was? She said, I was praying in the throne room of God. And God said, you call out to us. Here's the phone number. Said, you call this place and tell him to get out of that place. I'm going to give him another chance to come into the kingdom. And he said, after that, I figured if God was going to tell my mother where I was, there ain't no use of me trying to hide. So he says, I come to Christ and got saved. And today he's a minister in the gospel, serving the kingdom. Now, what will God do if you stay on the doorstep? Now, see, when you go to the doorstep, in, in Hebrews 4.16, what is it you don't understand when the Lord says, Come boldly into my throne room. Boldly. Now, when a mother has got a son or a daughter that's going the wrong way, you don't walk into the throne room up there to before God and get on your knees and say, Oh, God, I'm just an old, unworthy sinner. You don't do that. He said, You 
in my throne room and you're an old unworthy sinner? That's absolutely right, honey. That's exactly what he'd say. But you walk in and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come in. I'm a son of God. I'm here because of the blood of my Savior that, that washed me clean. And I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And Lord, i got a need. i got a loved one, a brother, a son that's down on earth that's not serving you. Or a mother and dad. And I'm telling that devil I'm kicking him out in Jesus' name. Woo, the Lord says, this is the kind of children I love to come into my throne room. Tell me what you want. You know who you are. You're sons and daughters of mine. And I told you to come bowl in here and tell me what you want. Now, if your little son, I don't even know if you got children, honey. But if you had a little son and he walked in and said, Mama, could I have one of them fresh cookies you just baked over there? And you said, of course, son, you can have all you want. Go over and have two or three. And he was to say, I don't believe you, Mama. I don't think you're going to give me a cookie. That's okay. I'll just go back out in the yard and play without one. Would that break your heart? You see? You want to give him the good thing, but he wouldn't do it even after you told him. See, that's the way God is with all these wonderful things he's given us. He said, now come in. This young one, he comes in and says, Mama, ooh, I see them good cookies you just made. I know I can have one, can I? You said, sure, have two or three. He's over to the cookie jar. And he gets and said, thanks, Mom, love you. And he's on the way outside. See, now that's where we ought to be with God, right, brother? Because he did all these things for us. Mama made the cookies. She got them over there. All he's got to do is come in and get it and go outside and enjoy it. See, Jesus done all these things for us. Give us all His power and authority and told us to enjoy it. This is our spiritual authority in the name of Jesus. Then, let's go on after we see what happened there about uh, what happened there and how the minds of the people were blinded by the devil and the authority we have over them. Then I want to show you a little bit more authority that we have In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, who was it that had that man bound? God or the devil? The devil. What did Peter know? He knew his spiritual authority over Satan and his host. He knew he was walking in total obedience to God's Word. By walking in total obedience to God's Word, he went up there. Now, here's what we do. We go up to somebody who has a need, especially if they're crippled or handicapped or anything else, and we say, pat you on the shoulder and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're all handicapped and crippled like that, but just, just bear it. I know God's going to be with you. <laughs> I mean, is that the way we do it? I mean, we ain't got no faith. I mean, the least you can do the least you can do is do what God says and then let Him do what He wants to do. That's the whole thing. At least do something. You know, I mean, I think about the times that I have prayed for people. I think about, I, think about, I mean, talking about spiritual authority, I think about this precious woman walked out there to give me a bill on the parking lot one day. I was asked to come to the front and here. I walked up here. There's a beautiful woman walking on a cane like this. And, and I, I mean, I'm guessing she's 40 years old. I don't know how old she was. 45, maybe. I said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? Well, she said, I was in a car wreck the other day. Another person hit me in the door and messed up my left hip and my right foot. But she said, I know Jesus is going to heal me. I said, oh, you do? I said, you must be a born-again Christian. She said, I most definitely am, and I know Jesus is going to heal me. I said, how long has this been? She said, three months. I said, I got news for you, ma'am. He ain't going to heal you. She said, what do you mean he's not going to heal me? I said, Jesus already done it. I said, he done everything he's going to do 
2,000 years ago, and then he left that authority with us. I said, Jesus told me to lay my hands on you and say, be healed, and he'll heal you. And then in Mark 11, 23, he said, whatever I say with my mouth, I can have it. I said, now then, I know you don't know me. But I said, if you will let me lay my hands on you and say, be healed in the name of Jesus, I guarantee you when you wake up in the morning, you'll have no pain and you'll be healed. She looked at me and she says, you think so? I said, no, ma'am. Well, I thought you just said. I said, that's right. I said, it will happen. I didn't say, I think it will. I know it will. Because Jesus said, I can have whatever I say with my mouth. And Jesus said, if I lay my hands on you, you're healed. She said, I never met anybody like you. I said, what a shame. I said, now do you want to be healed? Yes or no? She said, yes. I said, okay. I reached over and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, now let's go out and take the measurements on the parking lot. I mean, was that easy or was that easy? I mean, Jesus made I mean, I don't have to get down and start begging, oh God, please Lord, if it be your will. I just do what he says. And then let him do what he wants to do. And then guarantee it's not. So we go out in the parking lot. We take the measurements. And the guy that takes the measurements, she's standing there talking to me. And I said, now, they started to leave. And I said, now, remember, ma'am, in the morning when you wake up, you're going to be healed. I guarantee it because Jesus made you the promise. She goes home, goes to bed with her husband, wakes up the next morning, no pain in her hip, no pain in her foot. Jumps out of the bed, jumps onto the floor, starts dancing. And her husband's sitting there looking and says, woman, what are you doing? You can't do this. I mean, give me a break. He's watching her dance. He's telling her she can't do this. You talk about unbelieving bunch of people. She said, I met a man yesterday that told me when I got out of bed this morning, in the name of Jesus, I would be healed. And she said, I am. Praise God, I am. I have no pain in my foot, my side. He said, praise God, I'm healed. She called me that afternoon, just hysterical, and called me a week later and said, Thurman, it's getting better all the time. I said, well, what do you mean getting better? I thought you was healed that day. Oh, she said, I was healed that day, but what I mean is getting better. She said, my husband of 25 years has been a non-believer. Today he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior because he never saw God do a miracle. Now God's become real to him and he accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we would all do what God tells us to do in his word, it wouldn't be long that the devil would be under our feet and everybody, wherever where you work and everything else would be saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and it wouldn't be, it's awesome what we could do with the church. We've been given all power and authority on this earth, and all we got to do is do what Jesus said. Walk holy before Him. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe nobody wants to walk holy. I heard a man say this last week, there's 1,500, and I don't know where they get their information, but this is on a tape, so I just take what I heard, whether it's true or not, I don't know. He said there's 1,500 pastors a month leaving the ministry, and half of them is leaving because of immorality. Is that a sad state of affairs? Fifteen, I realize in America, it's a big country, and 1,500 sounds like a lot of people. But I mean, I don't know how many pastors there are, but all i got to say, if there's 1,500 a month being deceived by the devil, and if half of those are being deceived to the point of immorality. All i got to say, those men don't believe the book that they're supposedly teaching out of. And I'm going to tell you, the men that are leaving, most of those men are not called of God to do what they're doing. 
If I mean, I hear all the time guys say, well, you know, gee whiz, I'm sure looking forward to two years from now because I'm going to retire. What do you mean? Well, I'm going to be 62 in two years, and I'm going to be, I'm going to quit the ministry, I'm going to retire, and, and I'm just going to do something else. You were never called to be a preacher. Never called. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be 65 in December, and I'm going to tell you what retirement, the only retirement I have planned at all is when I wear out the tires of my car, I'm going to retire my car. I'm going to put a new set of tires on it. But I do not plan to retire from working for the kingdom. If the kingdom says, forget not all of his benefits, he forgives all of my iniquities, he heals all of my diseases, he saves me from the destruction, and he renews my youth daily like the eagles, why should I get old and wore out? With that kind of benefit package, forget it. I'm going to claim that and I'm going to be younger every day. I had a man told me the other day, looked right at me. In fact, I had a lady the other day, she says, she was sitting by me in a restaurant. She said, Pastor, I've seen a lot of skin in my life. I've been involved in uh, facial stuff and everything else. And she said, your skin is getting younger all the time. I said, I know. I'm starting to claim Psalm 103 all the time. And another guy looked. He said, you know, you're getting more black hair than you had. He was to- totally white. said, some of it's getting black. And I said, I know. The Lord says he renews my youth daily like the eagles. So I'm claiming my benefit package. I mean, I mean, if the Lord, if the Lord says I'm the God that renews your youth daily like the eagles, then why don't you and me claim those things, right, young lady? Why you you and me never gonna get old, are we? Absolutely not. Absolutely, I'm gonna claim the Lord's benefit package in Psalm 103. If you claim it and you thank Him for it, what's He gonna do for you? What He says. What He says, right? But you get a hold of the average guy that gets 60 years old. What are, you, what are they talking about? Well, at 40, oh, we better have a black casket, you know, party. You know, black, black balloons. Because, you know, you're over the hill now. You can't do nothing no more. Is that what we're doing? We're setting ourselves up for... We're doing what, Dick? There you go. At 40, we're over the hill and picking a speed going down the hill. On the way to the grave. No, 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 no. Not me. Not me. Not me. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be going up that hill against the devil, and I'm going to be overcoming him until the Lord translates me out of this place and brings me back into the kingdom, and I am going to do it with no sickness and no disease. In the name of Jesus. Praise the King. After the authority He's given us, it's easy to praise the King. Glory to God. Now then, as long as Satan... As, in fact, uh, this, this promise that somebody said there a while ago, I want, to, I want to go from here in Acts chapter 3 after what Peter did there. I want to go to John fourteen twelve, And l- I want you to listen to this now. Most of us don't believe these promises of God. Listen to what this says. This is in your Bible. This is Jesus speaking. And this is one of those verily, verily, or truly, truly verses He says. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I, Jesus, say unto you, He that believeth on Me... The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And Now here's the one for the men. And whatsoever you shall ask or demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now if you love me, keep my commandments. 
Is that awesome or is that awesome? So why are we living in that realm? With these kind of promises in the Word of God, why do we let the devil beat up on us? Now see, I took those two verses right there in John 14, 13 and 14, and those are the two verses I quoted over the face of my granddaughter over and over and over and over for two weeks, and a little face that was tore all to pieces that was unrecognizable as a human being the day I walked in when her little face had hit the seat in front of her at 140 miles an hour. That seat, that face that was so tore up, I was able to take those two verses and call the king into remembrance of those promises. What did he say I could ask for? So what are you, what are you going to ask for? Oh God, please just let her live? No! What would you ask for? Completely restore her. And Lord, I don't want no scars on that beautiful little face. I don't want her growing up in that face all distorted. I want it beautiful. In the name of Jesus. What did he say he would do? Anything. And so two weeks later, guess what? Not a mark on that little face. Not a mark. Beautiful little lady. I mean, is Jesus awesome or is he awesome? But what did he say he would do? I mean, so what is it we don't understand about anything, young lady? Huh? You see where I'm coming from? I do that to get your attention. Because many of us don't believe God. Now, as long as Satan can keep you in unbelief, he will win over you every time. As long as that beast can keep you in unbelief. Now, if you stay in faith and believe what the Word of God says, you will win every time. Do not go by what you feel. Or see only what the Word of God says. Now, this is where the devil gets us. 99% of the Christians, and it's so unfortunate today, that when the enemy comes upon us to make us sick, we fail to say, Lord, where did I miss it? Just like Dick said over here. He said he had never heard these kind of teachings. But when he came here, he heard this. Then when he come down in his back, he said, Lord, where have I missed it? And the Lord told him, You've had a critical mouth the last 24 hours. You've been a little hard to get along with. Who would think that would open the door to a demon to come into your physical body? I see the Lord said in 1 Peter 3, to the man or woman that would have a long life and see good days, you must keep your tongue from speaking evil about others. Now, what is it you don't understand about that? I mean, he was pretty clear, wasn't he? I mean, do you want to have good days and a long life? Well, okay, then what is the requirements? Don't speak evil about people. Which means if you speak evil, that means you ain't going to have a long life and you ain't going to have good days. See, we read that, but we don't never take it the flip side. That's where we miss it, isn't it? See, it's got both sides. Now then, let us look at the prayer of Paul in the first three chapters of Ephesians And the authority of the believer is revealed more in the book of Ephesians than anywhere else in the Bible. Now, if you'll use those prayers of faith in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16, and chapter 3, verses 14, you will see from those two places what you can get done as you pray and ask God to give the people that you're praying for revelation and wisdom from His Word. If you will do that, you will be able to see God do great and mighty things. I don't know how in the world. Uh, it is uh, 25 minutes till 5. Uh, I'm going to go just a few more minutes here. 
And I know I'm not going to get through. I don't know how in the world. Uh, I am down to page five out of 15 pages on my spiritual authority outline. And I can't believe that I've only covered five. I'm only halfway down. In fact, I've I, really, I just covered page four. And I've just turned over on page five. And we've been going for nearly four hours. And my outline is only 15 pages long on spiritual authority. So I guess what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to make two tapes this time. I guess I've learned a little in the last ten years, or eight years, seven years, what it was since I taught it the first time. And so it takes me a little longer to teach it. But I'm going to teach just a few minutes more, and then we're going to call it a day, and uh, and we'll pray for everybody that needs to be prayed for, and then I'll stay and answer questions. So let's go just a little bit further, and we'll go cover just a little bit more, and then we're going to call it a day. Now, if in Ephesians 1 and 3... Uh, verses 16 and, and verses 14, if you will pray those prayers of faith over your loved ones, you will be able to see God do great and mighty things in their lives. Because if you don't pray, this is the thing you have to realize as your spiritual authority. God has left the earth and the salvation of souls totally up to the church. If we don't pray, God does nothing. We must pray. And if we pray according to the Word, then He watches over His Word to perform His Word. So if you begin to pray, if, in other words, how many people say, well, I've got a, a child that's growing up and they're 15 years old and I haven't taken them to church, but I'm going to let them make up their own mind. I'm either going to let them accept Jesus or let them, uh, you know, not accept Jesus, uh, but I'm going to let them make that decision. How many of you know which way that child's going to go? The wrong way. Every time, right, brother? Guarantee, because they, they're born in which kingdom? In the devil's kingdom. If they're born in the devil's kingdom, if somebody don't pray the prayer of faith for them, I guarantee they will stay in that kingdom, they will die in that kingdom, and they'll go to hell in that kingdom. But if you start doing your warfare praying and kicking the devil out of their lives and start praying the prayer of faith in the Holy Spirit will move upon that person, begin to woo that person into the kingdom of God, and he'll transform that person's life, and that person will become saved and become a possessor of eternal life, and everything in their life will change. Now, then, it doesn't do any good to get somebody's sins confessed and sins repented of, because if a person does not become a believer in Jesus and inherit a new nature, they'll have a second past. In other words, you bring a man up and he says, well, all you got to do is confess your sins to the Lord. Well, he said, I've been a drunk and a drug addict and I've been an adulteress and I've been everything. Okay, confess your sin. Okay, I confess my sin. Okay, you're okay. No, you ain't okay. you got to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because you got those sins confessed, you didn't become a partaker of the divine nature of God. You're still lost. That same man's going to go right back out there and he's going to do all those things over again. He's never going to change until he becomes a possessor of eternal life. When he becomes a possessor of eternal life, then he will change. Then he will change. And then he'll not do those things. Now then, as the Lord told us there in Ephesians 6, 12 while ago, we have been given complete power and authority over the devil, and, and our combat with the devil should be with a full knowledge that he is a completely defeated foe. That our Savior Jesus has given us full authority and all power over him. And that 
by what Christ did on the cross, Satan has been completely disarmed and defeated. Now then, I used to pray for people whenever I would realize that people were sick or afflicted. When I realized I could pray, I used to pray like this. Father, if it be your will, will you please heal this person? And guess how many answers to prayer for healing I saw? Zero. Why? Because I didn't know what God's will was and he was a faith God. And when I learned that Jesus came to this earth and not only did he bear your sins on the cross, but he bore your sickness and removed your disease also. Now, if Jesus bore your sickness and removed your disease on the cross, then why are so many Christians sick today? Because they don't know that. They don't know that. Can you receive something by faith that you don't know is yours? I think about out there where I live. Just a few thousand feet below my feet, less than two miles straight down, is one of the most richest natural gas reserves in the state of Texas. The Barnett Shell. How long has that natural gas been there? Who knows? Thousands of years, I guess. But in 1992, about five miles from where I live, they bored a hole in the ground and hit a well that today is still producing over 6,000 pounds of pressure at the wellhead. They're flowing, they're digging natural gas wells all over the place out there. As fast as they can get to them, they're drilling them. The average well is producing a million cubic feet of natural gas a day. And Ephesians chapter 3 when we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I'm going to cover this and then we're going to stop. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I want you to think about this magnificent promise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What's already ours? Everything. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to you and I as sons of God. That's Scripture. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be. Now you can understand why Paul can say, Blessed be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings are ours, whether we know it or not. What are these mighty blessings? Salvation. It's a free gift. Healing. It's yours. All these things. Prosperity, it's yours. Everything is yours. Power over the devil, it's yours. And number three, he is our strength, Psalms 27.1. The next one, he is our wisdom, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Number five, a believer is a possessor. He has eternal life. Number six, we have all our needs met. Be a tither, Philippians 4.19. Number seven, we are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Number eight, we are redeemed, Ephesians 1, 7. Number nine, we are sons of God, 1 John 3, 2. Ten, all we have to do to get the Holy Spirit is ask, Luke eleven thirteen. Eleven, the name of Jesus belongs to us, use it. Number twelve, God is our own Father. Thirteen, Jesus is our own Lord, our advocate, our master, our brother. Fourteen, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Fifteen, healing is ours. Sixteen, Strength is ours. 17, light and wisdom is ours. 18, eternal life belongs to us. 19, He is our supply. 20, He is our sufficiency. 21, 
He is love in us. All this is yours when you first believe and is not dependent on our individual faith to receive it. These things are just yours. When you realize everything is yours, Lord, I worship you and praise you and thank you for the beautiful things that you do for us. I thank you for the Word of God. I thank you for how wonderful the Word of God is and how it brings forth signs, miracles, and wonders. Lord, when we come to you in faith after we've repented and walk in obedience, nothing is impossible with you. So, Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for the privilege to teach your people your Word. And I praise you and thank you for the privilege to pray for the sick. And what you call, go and heal the sick. And Lord, we do it all in your name. Actually, you're the one doing it, but we're the ones that gets to actually do the physical work that brings you on the scene. And so, Lord, you told us to go and save the lost, heal the sick, cast out devils. And Lord, we're thankful for the privilege to do that. And we're thankful, Lord, that you show up and do these mighty things for us. Now, Lord, as we teach the word today, I ask you to anoint me with the Holy Spirit and power. I ask you to speak through me. I ask you to give the people that will hear this teaching, wherever they may be, revelation and wisdom and understanding. May you change their life and make the Word of God so simple for them that they will learn who they are and their authority over sin, over sickness and disease, and over the devil in the name of Jesus. Lord, I praise you and thank you for the Word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now then, for this testimony, uh, I want this uh, gentleman to come up here. And I want you to tell us what the Lord did for you. Uh, Every testimony is magnificent, regardless of how little or how big. Just tell us what happened, sir. Uh, Well, it was about a week ago. In fact, it was the day after Sunday when I came here for the first time to listen to you speak. And... After being discipled by a brother of mine about healing, I actually uh, just decided to take the word at its word. And so I started speaking the scriptures over myself and prayed that the Lord would heal me of the cyst that was developing back there. And in the matter of a week, I watched as it gradually went down, and now it is entirely gone. Amen. And it's all to the glory of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the King. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You know, talking about that cyst... Uh, I'll have to say that uh, years ago, when I was still working as an engineer, I was in Houston, Texas. In fact, it was 1993. Yeah, 93. I was in Houston, Texas, redoing, renovating uh, about a 50,000 square foot building. And while we were down there running around, of course, I'm always praising the king, talking about Jesus and all the wonderful things that Jesus does. And so there was a man came in one day. And he said, you're always praising the Lord. I said, sure I am. I said, I love God and I love him. And I said, I love to see him do wonderful things when I praise him. In fact, I looked at him and I says, "Uh, those great big cysts you got on the back of your neck. I said, you got a big one behind both ears. He said, yes, I've had those surgically removed three times. And he said, they always come back. I said, it's just the devil. I said, how would you like to get rid of those permanently? He said, what do you mean? I said, I guarantee when I lay my hands on you, according to Mark 16, 17, and 18, and I rebuke the devil and command him to get his hands off of you, 
and pray for the Lord to restore you back to normal, I guarantee they'll go away. Why can you guarantee something like that? Because who made me the promise, J.C.? Praise the Lord. The Lord. That's right. Praise the Lord. If the Lord made me that promise, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus did say, These signs shall follow them that believe. Now, I realize today, in the church, most of the church was like I was for the first 45 years of my life. I didn't believe. I didn't believe. I mean, I said I was a believer, and I said I believed God's Word, but it was obvious I didn't believe the Word of God. So, when I began to get to where I did believe the promises that was written in the Word of God, I mean, after all, how much simpler could Jesus have made it than to say, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name you shall drive out demons. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So if Jesus said that and made that statement that clear and that simple, then why could not take that man as a believer that had them big old cysts behind both ears, why couldn't I lay my hands on him, command those things to leave in the name of Jesus? And say, now then, Father, thank you for healing him. It's done. And then turn and say, I guarantee it's done. Because Jesus made you the promise. And you turn and walk off. And the guy was an electrician. And he finished that job that day. And he was out on another job for about a week. And then I got ready for some more lights to be hooked up in the facility I was working on. And I called that electrical company and they sent that same guy. When he came in... When he came walking through the door, he said, where's Thurman? One of the guys said, he's back there in one of the back rooms. He come running back there and said, Thurman, praise God, praise God, look, look. No cyst on either ear. I said, isn't Jesus wonderful? I said, now then that you've seen him do these great and mighty works, I said, you need to make sure you find you a good church. You need to start attending. You need to start worshiping and praising the king every day. Read his word every day so that you can keep that devil away from you. Because I said, if you don't, if you don't fall back in with the Lord and start serving him, eventually you'll get forget where your healing came from and the enemy will come back and he'll get you again. So I said, you have to know who the enemy is and what he's doing to you and your power and your authority over him in the name of Jesus. Now, that's where we've missed it. So now then, today, <clears throat> we're going to continue on. We're making a new tape. And uh, since we're making a, uh, a tape, and I'm trying to teach this uh, with an outline so that I can keep some continuity in this thing, I'm going to start today uh, right where I left off last week. Now then, uh, I mean last month. Now then... <clears throat> I'm going to recap just a tiny little bit of the last thing I said on that last tape. Now then, this is where I want you to realize. I want you to go with me to Ephesians 1.3. And when you get to Ephesians 1.3, I don't know how many times I read that scripture, but it didn't really make any sense to me because I didn't get revelation on it. But as we read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I want you to see from your own Bible 
what the Word of God says. And then I want you to realize that this is what belongs to every one of us as believers. Now, if you're like I was, for years I prayed and asked God to give me things that was already mine. And the reason I couldn't get them is because I'm praying and asking Him for something. And He's saying, Son, they're already yours. They're over there in your toy box. Go over there and get them. But, you know, that's kind of like a child come in and say, Daddy, I want a train. He said, well, son, I bought you once over in your toy box. Well, Daddy, I, I don't believe that. Daddy, I want a train. Son, it's over there in your toy box. Well, Daddy, I want a, a teddy bear to play. Well, son, there's, I, bought you one, I bought you two of them. They're over there in your toy box. But, Daddy, I don't believe that. Well, now, that child, until he becomes like this, like this, this, uh, this nursery that we built out there in my son's building, <clears throat> we put two or three boxes full of toys. If it's one thing, you don't have to tell the children. When they walk in the front door of that big room and they look and see all them boxes of toys, you don't have to tell them they go charging into those boxes because they see stuff sticking out of the top. They know that's the toy boxes. And so in a few minutes, they got stuff scattered all over the room. And they're all having a ball. See, the toys are in the toy box. You've got to go get them. Well, let me show you some of the toys that God has given us in this magnificent teaching. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you wonder why that Paul could say such a wonderful thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason he could say that. Who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What did he bless us with? All Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You ever stop to think what some of these must be? That's the whole thing. All spiritual blessings belongs to us, whether we know it or not, according to the Word of God. Blessed be. Think about what Paul's saying there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. People read that, it don't mean nothing to them. What are they? Well, number one is salvation. Salvation is a free gift. Anybody on this earth can come to Jesus and ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And how many of you will He turn away? None. It's a free gift. But if you're not willing to ask Him for it, guess how many people can die and go to hell? All of you can. It is a free gift. It is a spiritual blessing that's been given to the world. Any of us can come to Christ and receive that. Then there's another one. Healing is yours. It is a spiritual gift. It is a spiritual blessing. It is yours. And I'm going to elaborate on that just a little bit. In Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, the Lord clearly said, as far as healing is concerned, in Isaiah 53, 4, He said, He bore all your pain. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. That's in the atonement. In fact, I, I got real tickled the other day after I read this Matthew eight seventeen. Matthew eight seventeen is a confirmation of Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Matthew eight seventeen says, Himself... Jesus 
bore your sickness and removed your disease. Now, if Jesus bore your sickness and removed your disease to confirm what was written in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that with his stripes you're healed, and then in 1 Peter 2, 24, he says the same thing, that with the stripes of Jesus, he said, now walk holy before me. See, now there's a requirement. Most people go around saying, yeah, I know with the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. And I said, well, are you sinning? Well, only a little. <laughs> only a little. No, you better stop sinning a little. Amen. You better stop sinning because if you sin just a little, anything that's not of faith or anything that's not of righteousness is sin. And anything that's not of righteousness or anything that's not of faith, if it's sin, and if sin opens the door for the devil to come in, then the devil's going to come in and make you sick. So you can't sin a little. You can't sin at all. And you must get away from the mindset that I'm a sinner. Amen. I'm a no wicked sinner. I hear people in the church all the time that are going to pray and say, well, I'm just an old wicked sinner. I said, there ain't no use me and you praying together because you're not going to get anything from God. As long as you think you're an old wicked sinner, I said, forget it. Ain't no use to come into God's presence with that kind of confession. But when you say, Lord, I want to thank you that I used to be a wicked sinner. I want to thank you that I come into the kingdom. And now then I'm the righteousness of God in Christ because what you did. So, Lord, since I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and I am walking holy before you. Now then, Lord, I'm coming into your throne room and I have some requests. And I want to praise you and thank you for your answers. He says, yes, my son, my daughter, what can I do for you? When you realize who you are in Christ, your authority... And what you can do, you stop confessing, I'm an old sinner. Now, yes, you might have used to have been an old sinner. But when you come to Christ, He washed you. He cleaned you up. He made you the righteousness of God in Christ. He made you a child of His and gave you all these spiritual blessings that we're going to list and name. So don't you think it's time we start acting like children of the King? I mean, not like that kid that's out there on the street that don't know who he is, that's running up and down the street stealing and everything because he has no father. We have a father in heaven that promised us in his word to take care of everything we need. He said, if we'll walk holy before him, he said, anything you put your hands to, I'll make it prosper for you. And now what he said, J.C.? So, if you walk holy before him, walk in obedience to his word, do what he says, read his word, worship him and praise him. I guarantee if you start claiming the promises and the benefits of God, you'll never have any lack in your life. He will meet all of your He promises it in his word. I will have to say that there's times that when you're put to the test, people will say you're crazy. And of course, as many of you know the story of my granddaughter, whenever I stood on the promises of God for her, you've got to remember that you have to stand, just like we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> but there was a lady asked me a question this week about my granddaughter. I taught over at the Full Gospel Businessmen's meeting last month, and I told a story, a part of the story, about my granddaughter. And there was a couple there that had a little child that needed to be healed, and so they were trying to stand by faith. And somebody came along and said, you know, that story you heard about that little girl said, I'm that father's uncle, and said, that's a lie. I said, that little girl's a vegetable. And so I asked Toby, my son-in-law, this week after the lady called me and said, Thurman, you know who this man is? 
I said, no, I don't know him. I never heard of him. So I asked Toby if he knew him. He said, yeah, he's my uncle. And I said, well, why is he making this statement? He told somebody that Caitlin was a vegetable. He said, well, I don't know. He said he only come to the hospital once, the day or two after it happened. And he saw her laying there and said, I've never heard of him since. Said he hadn't called or nothing. So he said, in fact, uh, he, he hasn't even communicated with my mother. Oh, I, think, I think it was his mother's brother. Or anyway, one of the family, whichever one it was. He was really interested in what was going on with Caitlin because he came one time, never seen her since, and the only time he saw her was when she was laying there in the hospital, you know, immobile, tore all to pieces. And so you can understand a man that's not a man of God, a man that does not serve God, a man that heard the doctor say, she'll die or she'll be a vegetable. What does most people believe? The doctor. We don't believe God's word. So that's average. That's even Christians. Most Christians today will, 99 and 9 percent of the Christians will believe the diagnosis of the doctor instead of the report of the Lord. That's just the way it is. I used to be the same way, but not anymore. Not anymore. That's in my past. So when I walk into a room knowing these promises after teaching the Word of God all these years in a healing school and seeing the king do all these wonderful healings and things that he does, I'm going to believe him. So when I walk into a room with my little granddaughter with her face tore all to pieces where she hit the seat in front of her at 140 miles an hour, her skull fractured in five places, her brain stem severed, her brain disconnected from her eyes, her little chest is so crushed she's bleeding out her eyes, her ears, her nose, and her mouth. Her right knee is crushed and her left leg's broken in two places. And when the doctor says, I'm sorry, sir, it's over for Caitlin. What does the average person believe? The doctor. And so immediately you fall to tears and say, start telling everybody, my baby's going to die. The doctor said so. So guess what she does? She dies. But I said, no, I'm not going to receive that report. I said, the Word of God made me promises, and the king can't lie. He's exalted his word above all of his names, and the Word of God's forever settled in heaven. So I said, since he made me the promise, I'm going to guarantee you that little girl's going to run and play again. And everybody, including my Christian brothers and sisters, said, now wait a minute, Thurman. Wait a minute. Look at her. I said, I don't go by what I see. I only go by what's written in the Word of God. My authority on earth as a Christian is he's given me all spiritual blessings. Everything already belongs to me. They're in my toy box. All I got to do is reach in there and get one. They're full. It's full to overflowing, running out of the top. And we're going to talk about many of these today. I said, so with the promises that's in that toy box that God gave me, I said, there's no way my little girl is going to die. She's not only going to live, that little girl's going to run and play and declare the glory of God. And of course, as I stood on the Word, but it didn't happen overnight. It took several months for all of it to come to pass. I had her out of ICU in one month with no surgeries or nothing. Not a doctor put a knife on her. I would not let a doctor put a knife on her. Of course, they didn't really want to because they thought she was going to die anyway. So that's why I really didn't catch any flack from the doctors. You know, if, if the doctors thought she was going to live, and they said, we got to do surgery on the right knee, but they would have done surgery. In fact, the doctor told me, whenever she lived, after they pulled her breathing tubes out of her, when they said, we know she's going to die because her brain stem severed. So there's nothing to tell her from the brain to tell her to breathe. 
So I said, we know she's going to die. I said, she's not going to die. Guarantee that little girl's going to live and play because the God I serve, he can put that brain together. He can put it back together. So I said, there ain't no problem. Now, I'm confessing this with no doubt in a room full of doctors and nurses that's getting ready to pull the tubes, knowing this is the greatest fool they ever seen in their life. In fact, the, the Dr. Davis, I'll just say that on television, on, on the TV, even on the tape. Dr. Davis said, Mr. Scrivener, you are the only man I have ever seen that absolutely refuses to accept reality. That was her exact words. I told her, I said, ma'am, she's a precious Christian lady. I told her, I said, ma'am, you've trained yourself with your five physical senses. You've never stepped into the realm of faith. I said, now the Word of God makes me promises. I'm going to guarantee you as a lung specialist, when they pull the tubes out of Caitlin, she's going to breathe over that machine on her own, and she's going to cough. I guarantee it because God made me the promise. They said, no way. I said, pull the tubes and see the glory of God. And I just backed up and said, go ahead and see the glory of God. Well, they pulled the tubes. And instead of dying, she breathed two points over the machine and started coughing. And the doctor was just blown away. Well, this morning, I won't tell you all that story since I'm going to teach on the believer authority. But this morning at 7 o'clock, when that little five-year-old, she was three then, that little five-year-old girl come busting into my room at 7 o'clock, jumped up into bed with me, and wanted granddaddy, jumped all over me, began to hug me and kiss me and everything. Said, granddaddy, give, I want some breakfast. <laughs> I said, Caitlin, can't we sleep just a few more minutes? No. I want something to eat now. So we got up. We wrestled there a little while, and then we got up, and I went and fixed her a bowl of cereal. And while I went and shaved and started doing all the things I had to do, and while she was eating breakfast, she got through. And, of course, I'm studying, getting things together and for today and everything else. And about 9.30, 9.15, I thought, well, I'll make me a, fry me an egg or something. I started frying me an egg. I said, uh, she come jumped up at the table in her chair again. I says, uh, do you want some more breakfast? Yes. I said, would you like an egg with granddaddy? Yes. I said, okay, good. So I fixed her a scrambled egg, too, and gave her two slices of uh, a turkey and a bowl, a glass of milk. And she ate again with me. For a little lady that's going to be a vegetable that could never eat or do anything that was going to die. And I was going to have to put her in the casket with her mama, according to the doctor. She's very, very much alive. And I'm going to tell you what done it. It's knowing the Word of God that brought God on the scene for me. Now then, if I was there, which I wasn't, and I'm still not, but I'm going to be someday... If I was there, the promises of God are there that I could have called my wife and my daughter back from the dead, even though their bodies were severely dismembered in a head-on car truck accident. There's no two ways in my mind. The promises of God are so powerful. If I could have believed the king, I could have seen my daughter put back together and my wife put back together. Was with God, the only thing that limits his power is your faith in His Word. That's the only thing. The promises are there. When the church really begins to understand our authority and what we can do as sons of God, it will absolutely be a wonderful day in the church when the whole church starts believing the Word of God. We have the Word, but we don't believe it. 
It's so powerful. We don't understand. But healing is ours. Now, healing is ours. So whenever you get sick, when you get sick, the only thing, most people go around begging and pleading God to heal them. You don't have to do that. Jesus Christ, when He said it is finished, that's one of the spiritual gifts that belongs to the church. Healing is ours. It's a given. And it's for every believer. So what do you have to do? Know the Word. Rebuke the enemy. First of all, repent of your sins because the devil makes you sick because of sickness and disease or unbelief. Lack of knowledge. So when you learn these things and they're yours, make sure you've repented. Rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus and begin to thank God for what he's already done. And you won't have to be sick no more. Now, for the first 40-something plus years of my life, I didn't know those things. And when you're in the you're 0 to 40 or 45, that's when you're the youngest and the most healthy. And if there's any time you shouldn't be sick, it's in that period of time. But from 45 on, that's where most people start thinking about sickness and disease and weakness and starts confessing it because that's the way the world is. But at early 40s is when I learned or begin to learn these mighty things. So by the time I got to my mid or late 40s, I had learned that Jesus was my healer. I began to make sure I walked holy before God, rebuked the devil, and praised God for his promises. And from that day to this, and I'll be 65 in December, I've not had one single sick day. Not one. And guess what? I ain't going to have no more sick days. I mean, sickness is something I threw out the window. You don't have to have it. But now see, Paul knew all these things. And he's telling us what's ours. Now let's look at a few more of these things. <clears throat> In Psalms 27.1, he says, He is our strength. If that's a spiritual blessing and God is our strength, why do you think he said, Let the weak say they are strong? Because as long as you confess the Word, what does it do? It brings the strength of God upon you. You only have on this earth what you confess with your mouth that comes from God's Word. Now, don't confess just anything. Confess what the Word says. Because if the Lord says He is our strength, you start saying, The Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You start quoting the Word, and guess what happens? Strength comes to you. You get strong. It's amazing. So, that's another one of our spiritual blessings. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. And He is our redemption. Boy, is there a mouthful in those, huh? All that's ours because of what He done on the cross. When you got saved, He sanctified you. He gave you wisdom. He made you the righteousness of God in Christ. And He redeemed you from everything. He redeemed you from the curse. He redeemed you from sickness and disease. He redeemed you from sin. Wow. All that's in the toy box. That's all part of our spiritual blessings that's automatically ours when we come to Christ. Then a believer is a possessor. He has eternal life. You become a possessor of eternal life the minute you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not next month. Not next year. In fact, I want you to turn, I want you to see 
There's a scripture I didn't write in here that has become such a reality to me. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. I want you to see this magnificent promise. Now, this is just a little bit too much for the average church member. Now, now it's going to come down to the point, do you believe the Word or not? Now, God wrote the book. I didn't write it. So, I'm just going to tell you what the book says. But these are some of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places in 2 Timothy 1.10. Now, I want you to, I'm going to find out if you're going to believe what this says or not. Most people does not believe this. And some of you are going to think, I've totally stepped out on a new or a, a limb that's beyond. But I'm going to tell you, this is God's Word. I didn't write the book. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, But it is now made manifest. Now, not next year. You know, not in eternity. It is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When did that happen? When Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago. Now then, is that almost more than you can swallow? But is now made manifest. This happened 2,000 years ago. By the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He came 2,000 years ago. And He who has already abolished death. Already abolished death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Why are we still dying? Good question, isn't it? If he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, why is the church still dying? You find me a person anywhere that believes that he already has immortality and he's never going to die. You, believe, you show me one man in the church or one woman that will confess that day in and day out and say, I'm going to live, I have eternal life and I'm going to live until the king translates me to heaven. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to let sickness and disease come upon me. I'm going to live until the king one day says, It's time for me to translate you home. You have served me and done everything I want. And I'm out of here. And I'm gone. Are you willing to confess that? Okay. But you've got to believe it with all your heart. Now I'm going to take you back just a little bit. Just, to, just for a little way. Just to show you a couple. I hate to... I hate to show you just one scripture to build a doctrine around anything. So I'm going to take you to John 8, 51. And I want to show you just a couple of places. This is a couple of add-ins here that I've got that I didn't put in my outline. But I'm going to show you what God said in His Word. Now, these, these promises in God's Word is too powerful. We, the church, do not, does not believe this book. But this book was written and... By, it was in, as men were moved on by the Holy Spirit, and this is Jesus talking in John eight fifty one. He says, "Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death." That's what my Bible says. Brother Gary, did yours read just like mine? No, isn't that strange? If a man 
Truly, truly, I say unto you, if a man keeps my sayings, it's what you say, very important, as long as they agree with the word. And most peoples do not. You let the average Christian come down with a symptom of some kind of sickness and disease, what is it the first thing they do? You get the feeling bad and you've got a pain in your chest or a pain in your kidneys or whatever it is, and it really begins to persist after a day or two. What does the average Christian do the first thing? Go to the doctor. And the doctor says, wow, we run these tests. I'm sorry. You have this problem or this problem or this problem, whatever it is. You know what you do? The average Christian goes home, picks up a telephone, calls every friend they call, got, and say, please pray for me. I have cancer. I have kidney. I've got to go to the hospital for a surgery. Please, please pray for me that God will do something. And you don't have a clue what the Word says. Don't have to know how to stand on the promises of God. Don't know them. So you go to the doctor and you have surgery and maybe you live, maybe you die. The author of that sickness and disease was the devil. Sickness and disease does not come from God. It comes from the devil. Jesus, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, went about healing, the, casting out the devils and healing, or healing all that was oppressed of the devil. All. Now then, if we keep all of Jesus' sayings, which there are many in this book, and I don't profess to know all of them, but I'm learning a lot of them. And the more I spend time with God, the greater revelation I get. Now I want you to turn over just a couple of more places to uh, Acts, I mean, uh, John 11, 25 and 26. Now this is also just a little more than the average Christian can stomach. But this is God's Word, and I didn't write the book. So I'm not trying to tell you something that's contrary to what the book says. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to have to meet this criteria just like you do. John 11, verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? No, we don't believe that. We don't believe God's Word. The average Christian goes around saying, Well, I've lived 70 years. I guess it's time for me to die. Oh, I just hope I can make it to retirement age at 65. Oh, I've, you know, I mean, I think about one of the guys out there at the FW Airport when I was still an engineer out there. He's 62. He coming out there one day and said, Oh, God, Thurman, I'll be so glad when one more year goes by. I said, What's going to do in one more year? He said, Oh, I'm getting so old. I'm, I'm old enough to draw my Social Security. I'm going to retire. He said, I just can't do this no more. <laughs> Gee, 62. Old critter, isn't he? You know, old critter. Well, if you want to confess I'm old and wore out, and, you know, then you want to die early, that's okay. It's, I mean, but that's what God, I mean, that's, that's what He said, that you could have in here whatever you say. And uh, let me take you one more place, and I want to show you something that's yours in 1 Corinthians. I realize that the average Christian, or just like I was, (coughs) 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want you to see one more of these spiritual blessings that's yours. 1 Corinthians 3, 21. I don't even have these on my list, but I just happened to, the Lord just brought these to my memory. These things that I want you to know, because these are spiritual blessings that belong to you and me as children of the King. But we need to know they're there and that they're ours. In 1 Corinthians 3, 21, Therefore, let no man glory in men, for a few things are yours. Oh, 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 you got to, I mean, you have to watch these preachers. I mean, these guys will deceive you in the church. How much is yours? All. Oh, no, so what is it you don't understand about all? What is that, Miss Dale, that we don't understand? All things. Oh, it's too big a word. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Now, let's look at some of them. I mean, when he makes a statement like that, that is so powerful, we don't, we don't get that. So, the next verse says, Whether you're Paul, or Apollos, or Peter, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. What did the king give us? The world, life, death, things present, or things to come. All are yours. How are you going to make those things work for you? By your confession. You're going to confess life and live abundant life. Or you're going to confess death and you're going to die early. You're going to believe that the world is yours and that nothing's impossible with you, just like the Scripture says. And you're going to walk through the earth saying, Praise God, I'm a son or a daughter of the King and all things are mine. Nothing is impossible with me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If you go through life proclaiming those kind of things, what can you do? All things. All things. I mean, that's why I literally, in the workforce, learned those things. Literally became a legend in my own time in the workforce. Because of the simple thing, when people, when a VP would come to me, and I remember a man by the name of Tim Tully years ago, when I was a regional engineer and covered a large portion of the United States as a regional engineer, I had a lot of men working for me. Mr. Tully, which was an executive, one of the VPs, he came to me and said, Thurman, I really hate to ask you to do this chore because I know for you and your men this is going to be a very difficult thing and it's going to be so difficult I hate to even ask you. I said, Mr. Tully, the difficult we do immediately, but the impossible takes just a little bit longer. I said, no problem. So with that kind of an attitude... And worshiping and praising the king, I took a few of my men, and we, I went into a design mode, and it wasn't no time. I had that massive project completely knocked out in record time and in record amount of money. I had spent so little money to do what he wanted me to do. He couldn't believe I'd done that. When I got through that, every time I'd be in a meeting in Washington, in one of our corporate offices, if he stood up to talk, he'd say, you know, that guy sitting right back there, he used to be a regional engineer for me when I was a regional vice president. And he said, the thing I never forgot about that man, I never asked that man to do anything. He said, 
we can do the difficult immediately, but the impossible takes us just a little bit longer. And he said, I never seen anything that man couldn't accomplish. Well, when you serve the king and you read the word all the time and you worship and praise the king and you tell everybody, I can do what I can do because I'm a son of God. And you can say, I can do all things because Christ said so. What are your limitations? There are none. There are none. I literally saved the company I work for millions of dollars, and they all knew it. And everybody wanted to know, how do you do this? I said, it's simple. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is my King. And I walk holy before Him in obedience. And they all knew that. They all knew that. So, God did miracles for me. In the workforce, He did miracles for me over and over and over. Because I knew the spiritual blessings that were mine. Now, that if the church ever gets a hold of this, what are we going to be able to do when all of the church begins to get a hold of all these spiritual blessings and who she is and what she can do? Wow! It's going to become awesome what we can do. It, well, that's right, dynamite. We're going to be dynamite for Jesus. We're going to start seeing people do wonderful things. We're going to start seeing people get saved all around us. We're going to start seeing people get healed all around us. We're going to start seeing people get delivered. And nothing that we set our hands to will be impossible because we're children of the King of the universe. I'm not just a nobody. I'm a son of the King of the universe. He's my God and He's my Lord, but He's my Daddy. And I can walk into Dad anytime I want to and tell him what I want. And he says, yes, son, anything you ask, I told you I would answer. See, when the word in you becomes one, like Jesus said in John fifteen seven, that's another spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He says, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask me for anything you want to and I will do it for you. Is that an awesome promise? So if you have a promise like that, which there's many like that in the Word of God, and that's one of those spiritual blessings, if you have that kind of a promise, and you do walk into a hospital room where your grandbaby, and Kelly, like a grandbaby, has been diagnosed that mine can't live, and she probably won't live, because both pelvics are crushed, and her head's busted open from right here back to right here, what are you going to do? Fall apart and start crying or start quoting the Word of God? Hey, crying, throw that out the window. You don't need to cry when you got a king. All you need to do is worship him and praise him and start quoting his word. And say, oh, Kelly, she's not in too bad a shape. Her head's only busted open here back to here. Two crushed pelvics with my God and these promises of John 16, 23, and 24, where he said, from this day forth, I have not asked the Father anything, but from this day forth, I can ask the Father in his name anything, and he'll do it so my joy will be full. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of that promise, my joy is going to be full when little Kelly's up running around. And Lord, these people don't believe you, but I do, Father. So I ask you to do such a great and mighty work of healing and restoration on her that everybody will know you've done it. There won't be any doubt in nobody's mind that you've done it, that you will be glorified, and I want to thank you and praise you. And I'm going to continue to confess it's done. And I'm thanking you and praising you. Now, Father, it's done in Jesus' name. And in one week, the little girl's out of ICU. One more week, she's out of the hospital, walking with a walker. And the doctor don't believe she can stand in two weeks or two crushed pelvics. But by Wednesday, when she had thrown the walker away and running and playing back in school in two and a half weeks, everybody knew God showed up. You see what happens when you quote the Word? Jesus shows up. 
He does awesome things. And these are the kind of miracles the church ought to be walking in. I shouldn't be the only one around that's got testimonies like this. We all, as Christians, ought to have testimonies like this. Now, we don't want to have to go through the trials and tests I went through, but when you see people out there in the world that are lost, that are dying, the devil's deceived, we ought to be walking in health and prosperity, and we ought to be going out there and speaking these kind of things over people and calling these kind of miracles. And not only did I get to see my grandbaby and Kelly miraculously healed, but while I was in, in the Cook's Medical Center, I got to see God do seven more magnificent miracles. And as I walked through that hospital and got parents to confess their sins and laid hands on babies and commanded demons to come out and saw babies that had been sick two years healed within a day or two or three or a week and saw some of them go home that hadn't been home in a in long time. And then one of the ladies down there, she told her husband, she said, her husband, she said, this guy Thurman Scrivener is the craziest man I've ever seen in my life. She said, why? The guy said, well, I know him. Why is he crazy? You know, he's not crazy. Said, oh, yes, he is. Said, our finest doctors tell these parents that these babies can't live. And he walks in and prays for them and guarantees them that these babies are going to get up and go home. And he said, and what happened? She said, well, so far they all got well. He said, that don't sound like a man that's crazy to me. That sounds like a man that knows who his God is. Now then, if God is no respecter of persons, and He'll do that for me in Cook's Medical Center, and have nine that I know of, seven others in my two, nine awesome miracles in one month in Cook's Medical Center, what do you think God would do if we all start believing like this? Isn't He awesome? He wants to do good things. What is it we don't understand about the fact that Jesus said, As the Father has sent me to do His will, He sent me to cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead, and to save the lost. As the Father sent me to do His will, I am sending you to do the same thing. Boy, have we been disobedient Christians. If God sent the Father to do His will on earth. And then Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And we have done a miserable job. I'll have to say that the first 45 years of my life, I'd have hated to die and went to heaven. Because when I would have got there, the king wouldn't have had nothing good to say to me. He would have said, well, son, I had a great big toy box full of toys over there for you. But you didn't claim any of them, so come in. Come in. The devil deceived you. But now then, one day when I'm translated to heaven, all I want the king to say when I walk in is, Well done, son. That's all I want to hear, don't you, Dale? All I want to hear. I'm going to be out there teaching the Word, and I don't care what. I mean, just like a young lady called me yesterday, and she said, Thurman, I'm going to make a little talk this week. And a pastor has told me that I, what I'm going to talk on is absolutely not the truth. She said, what should I do? I said, you go and you make the talk, and you make the talk totally based on God's Word. If everything you say is God's Word, and I said, just to make sure you're okay, I will come to it myself. I will be there. 
And she said, oh, I would greatly, greatly appreciate your support. And I said, if there's another pastor there, and he gives, and he probably won't be, but I said, if he is, and you're making statements that are sticking with the Word, I said, then me and him might have to have a little conversation. (laughs) Because as long as she's teaching what the Word says, he has no authority to say anything. You say what the Word says. Now, realize that this woman's been in my church for a year and a half now, two years almost. Her husband was miraculously healed, and she was delivered from demons. She didn't learn that in the church either. But she got delivered from demons, and her husband, which was on his deathbed seven years ago when I was asked to come to their home, I went to their home, found out what their sin was. At that time, they were Methodists, and John, their Methodist preacher, was there that day. He sat through four hours of my teaching with that family, and at the end, I said, Brother John, I've now got the sins confessed. I'm fixing to cast this demon out of this man, and I'm going to lay my hands on him, and Jesus is going to heal him. I said, would you like to take part in it with me? He looked at me, and I said, first of all, could I ask, do you disagree with anything I've said today? He said, how could I? Everything you said, you backed it up with a word. He said, yes, I'll lay hands on him with you. And we did. And that man that was on his deathbed was a highly incurable disease, which is only one or two cases of it a year in a Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, which there is no cure for, was miraculously healed. And in one week, he is out driving his tractor. And he comes to church here every Sunday today. Isn't that that wonderful? God's Word works. Now then, if you're going to church somewhere and you're not seeing a few signs and miracles and wonders, you're in a church that the pastor is not teaching God's Word. He may be teaching parts of it, but he's not teaching all of it. Now, if he's afraid to teach God's Word, the power of it, then you're not going to see any signs and miracles and wonders because God will only confirm what the man standing up here is willing to teach with power and authority. If you're willing to teach His Word, He will confirm what He says with healings and signs and miracles and wonders. If you're not willing to teach it, then He don't show up. He's not going to go over the shepherd's head in His church to do something. He's just not going to do it. And that's a shame. But that's the way it is. It's a little bit tough. Now then, we have all our needs met, according to Philippians 4.19, after you've tithed. So many people claim that's another one of the spiritual blessings. Lord, first question out of my mouth when I see somebody or somebody calls says, Thurman, I'm in a financial crisis. I need a financial miracle. My first question is, are you going to church? Well, yes, I go sometimes. Are you tithing regularly? Well, no, I don't have enough money to tithe. I said, well, then that's why you don't have a financial... That's why you need a financial blessing. Because you're a thief and you're stealing from God. God is not going to bless you as a thief. Isn't that... Just normal? Would you bless anybody with stealing out of your pocketbook every week? No, would you? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't. People say, well, God don't command us to tithe in this day and age. One of us is reading a different book. (laughs) 
One of us is reading a different book. I can show you in the Old and the New Testament where he commands us to tithe. In fact, I can show you in the Old Testament where he commanded you give him 10% of everything. And I can show you in the New Testament where he commands you to tithe. And not only that, but now since the blood of Jesus has come, he commands you to be a giver. And giving goes beyond the tithe. So, if he demanded a tithe from the blood of bulls and goats, what do you think he demands for his son's blood? Ooh. I mean, I think his son's blood was worth a whole lot more than 10%. It sure did give me a whole lot more than the bulls and goats did. It gave me power over sin. It gave me power over the devil. It gave me power over sickness and disease. And it gave me everything I need to live an abundant life. But I've got to know it. And that's what's wrong with the church. We don't know these things. So, then we are in Christ. In other words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you imagine you're carrying around Jesus Christ inside of you all the time? He's in you. He's in you. We are redeemed, according to Ephesians 1.7. We are redeemed. Wow. We're redeemed from sin. Redeemed from the curse. We're redeemed from the blood. By the blood. We, we, don't, we don't understand the magnificence of that magnificent statement. I've been redeemed. Your sins have been remitted. When you come to Christ, how many of your sins were washed away when you came to Christ? All. What is it we don't understand about? All. All were washed away. So now then, if all of your sins were washed away when you come to Jesus and you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior... Do you have to, say you were 30 years old. Say when you was 18 years old, all you did was all kinds of wild things, wicked things, commit adultery or fornication, and you lied, you stealed, you cheated, you did all kinds of things, and then at 30 you come to Christ. How many of your past sins do you have to commit or have to confess? None. None of them. Not none of them. God don't ask you to confess none of them. When you come to Christ and get saved, every sin you committed is under the blood, and it's washed away. I'm going to tell you, most of us can't remember the sins we committed before we come to Christ. If I had to commit every sin I'd ever committed before I come to Christ, I wouldn't even know what they were. I couldn't remember them. But He remitted our sins and washed them all away and put them as far as the east is from the west. So now then, if every sin we committed when we come to Christ, whether it be 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, whatever it was, every sin in your background was washed away, and He delivered you out of the kingdom of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of His dear Son, according to Colossians 1. You become a believer. You become a child of the King. What should you do with those sins that was in past? Should you forget them? Absolutely. Forget them. They're under the blood. Don't ever talk about them. Don't give God, don't give the devil no glory. Don't come to church and tell me I want to give, stand up here and tell you all the things that Jesus done for me. I want to tell you how wicked a sinner I was. I want to tell you how bad I had it on drugs. I want to tell you how the devil beat up on me. I don't want to hear it. I want you to tell me what he's done since you got cleaned up. That's what I want to know. What Jesus is... I don't want you to stand up here and tell me how bad you was. I don't want you to stand up here and tell me how many men and women you went to bed with. I don't want to hear that nonsense. 
If you've got a testimony and you start telling me all that stuff, I'm going to say, forget it. I'm going to stand right up and tell you, stop it. Tell me what he's doing now. I don't want to know what the devil did in your life. We know he come to kill, steal, and destroy. I want you to tell me what has happened magnificently in your life since you come to Jesus. I want to give God glory in my church, not the devil. Now then, if you sin, if you sin, which you're not supposed to, after you become a believer. Now, see, I didn't know that for most of my life. I was beat up on by a denominational church that said, I'm just an old, unworthy sinner. And we sin all the time. Well, let me tell you, that's a lie. You're not an unworthy sinner. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And the Word of God says you're not supposed to sin at all. Now, then, what if you do mess up? What can you do? You can come to the Lord, according to 1 John 1, 9, and immediately confess what you've done as sin and ask the Lord to forgive you, and He will restore you to fellowship. But now when you confess that sin, what does He say? Go and sin no more. What is it we don't understand about that? Go and sin no more. See, every believer should be in church somewhere every Sunday. Every time there's a door open, wherever you attend, you should be there. You should be tithing, you should be worshiping, you should be praising, and wherever you work, you should be talking about Jesus. You should be giving Him the glory. You should walk into your workplace praising the King, saying, Lord, I thank You and praise You for all these spiritual blessings You've given me. When these things become a reality to you, you can't not do that. It's impossible for you not to give God glory when you begin to get a hold of this list we're going through right now. When you realize that all these things are yours. Then in John 3, 1 John 3, 2, he said, we're sons of God. Do you know what it means to be a son of God? You've been made an equal with Jesus. Now, if you're a woman, you're a daughter of God. But if you're a man, you're a son of God. But we're children of the king of the universe. We're not unworthy sinners no more. We're children of the king. Sons of God. I had a lady the other day that that wrote me a letter. Boy, I mean, she said I was raised up in a denominational church that beat up on me with sin and that I was an unworthy sinner. In fact, she said they they said I was nothing better than an SOB. That's what she wrote in her letter. She said, I got a hold of one of your tapes. I listened to it. And she said, by the time I got through listening to that tape, she said, my self-esteem had done took a new leap and I realized I'm a daughter of the king. I'm not an unworthy sinner. She said, I've got to completely reevaluate my entire walk with Jesus. It's totally going to change. I thought to myself, praise God. Finally, the Lord's getting through to one of his daughters to let her know who she is. I mean, you should look at yourself as sons or daughters of the king. Our daddy is God. We don't think about it like that, do we? But he really is. Then he says... In Luke eleven thirteen, all we have to do to get the Holy Spirit is ask. That's how obedience and ask, and He gives Him to us. And what can you do after you get the infilling power of the Holy Spirit? Anything. Nothing shall be impossible with you. Wow. And then God is our own Father. Now, Jesus is our own Lord. He's our advocate, our attorney, our master, our brother. Can you think of anybody you'd rather have that meet all that criteria that's that's 
attached to you, that's in you? Wow. No way. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. These things are yours. Healing is ours. Strength is ours. Light and wisdom is ours. Eternal life belongs to us now. He is our supply. He is our sufficiency. He is love in us. This is all yours when you first believe and is not dependent upon our individual faith to receive it. Think of the toy box. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places has just been yours right then. How many people were just like I was most of my life that would pray for these things? Lord, please give me strength today. He said, son, it's yours. All you got to do is say, the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Start confessing my word. It's already yours. So it is. So when you learn those things, what can you do? All things. You don't sweat nothing no more. You're not concerned about nothing no more. You don't worry about nothing no more. You know who your provider is. And it's Jesus. Now then, all of this is in redemption. So all we got to do is praise the Lord for all these wonderful things and worship Him for all these things. And then when you ask in faith what you want, you will see it come to pass. Many people... When I used to go to church, in a denominational church, or in other churches, or it doesn't matter where you are, I still see it happen. When I pray with somebody for something, I will ask them, do you believe it's done? Well, I hope so. I say, forget it. There was no faith in I hope so. Well, if it's God's will, it will come to pass. You've got to know what His will is. His will is the Word. That's kind of like walking into a room, a hospital room, and a man's there paying big bucks to be there. And you say, what's wrong with you? <clears throat> well, I've got this problem, and who knows what it is. Cancer, who knows. But I think God's trying to show me something. He's trying to, you know, uh, get my attention. I said, you think this is from God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe it's from God. I said, well, then, my goodness gracious, get up out of this bed and go home, because if this is from God, what are you doing here trying to get well? I mean, if it's from God, I mean, you're sinning if you're trying to get rid of it. If it's from God, I mean, you wouldn't want to do that, right? Yeah, you don't want to rob God of His glory. Just let Him, you know, let it, uh, let it really work on you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in other words, he might be in there, maybe he's in there for gallbladder, see? And then he said, well, I believe this gallbladder attack is of God, and I know it's going to give God glory. Then maybe you could say, well, why don't you ask God for cancer so you could really get some glory out of it? Really get a bad one from the devil. No, sickness and disease does not bring any glory to God. Health brings glory to God. I'm going to tell you that I never saw any glory come from Anything that was killing, stealing, and destroying. 
But whenever I learn to walk in divine health, and I can now stand before you and teach a healing school and tell you that I've learned the secrets and the truths of God's Word, and I have walked in divine health myself for the last many years without one single minute of sickness and disease, and I've been able to call men back from the dead, and I have been able to call my own granddaughter back from the dead, and I've stood on the Word of God, and saw her and saw Kelly and saw all those other children brought back from the dead. I'm telling you, that's what brings glory to God. For the devil was killing, stealing, and destroying. And God come in, and I spoke in His name and told everybody that Jesus made these promises, and Jesus is going to do this. And He did. I'm telling you, everybody, in fact, I had a man call me months later. And he said, I was in Cook's Medical Center a couple of times during October and in November of 01. He said, in every waiting room I went to, your name and Jesus was being talked about. He said, now, we have a couple from our church. He said, we're Baptists. We have a couple from our church that has a little three- or four-year-old boy over there in Cook's Medical Center, and he's in a crisis, and I wonder, would you go over and pray for him? I said, well... If the parents will let me, I will. He said, you know they will let you. I said, no, sir, I don't know that. I have to have the Father's okay before I can go. He's the spiritual authority. I said, what's his name? And he said, well, I know. Just go down there. He'll let you pray. I said, give me his name. I said, you did say y'all are Baptist? He said, yes. I said, have you ever seen God do any miracles in your church? He said, no, absolutely never. He said, I'm 44 years old. I have never seen God do a miracle in my life. I said, so you think that somebody in a Baptist church is going to let me run down there and pray for that little boy? I said, let me give you his name. So they give me his name. I called Cook's Medical Center, ICU, and I said, I need to talk to so-and-so. And so somebody said, well, they're here. They've got a sick baby here. I said, yes, I know. That's why I want to talk to them. So I called two or three times. Nobody would ever come to the phone. Finally, it's about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Finally, the last time I called, the grandfather came to the room, come to the phone. He said, they said that you want to talk to my son. I said, yes, sir. I understand he's got a little young boy down there that's critical. He said, this boy is almost dead. I said, well, sir, a member from your church by the name of so-and-so. He said, yes, I know him. I said, he called me and wanted to know if I'd come down there and pray for the boy. He said, sir, it's not a use to pray for this boy. He's almost already dead. I said, the God I serve raises the dead. I said, if you'll let me come down there and pray for the boy, if the Father will allow me to talk to him a few minutes and get his sins confessed, I will guarantee you God will heal your son, your grandson. He said, sir, I never heard a man speak like this. He said, this grandson of mine, he's almost dead already. I said, sir, it doesn't make any difference. With God, all things are possible. He said, well, if my son wants you to come, we'll call you back. He said, good day. I said, would you like to have my telephone number? (laughs) Oh, he said, yeah, I guess I had better take it. So I waited another 30 minutes before I went to bed. And they never called. And the little guy died. You see what's wrong with us in the church? We don't believe this book. We don't believe this book. Now this book makes you some awesome statements. 
And I try my best to teach you these things in this healing school. Now, what I'm going to teach you is in the Word. Now then, if you can believe God, you can get these wonderful things and they'll come to pass for you. Now, God didn't put me up here to teach you these things coming out of a Baptist church myself without some signs and miracles and wonders to confirm that I'm telling you the truth. If you said, Thurman, have you ever seen a healing? No, no, I've never seen one. Have you been sick? Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, I missed the last four healing schools because I was sick. <laughs> How many of you would come listen to me teach healing? Nobody. Nobody. So when people say that one of the greatest teachers on healing in the New Testament was Paul, the man that healed all the sick on the Isle of Malta, the one that let little uh, Eutychus that fell out of the third floor and he fell down they picked him up dead. He went down and said, no, no, no. He's already been preaching until midnight, see. And he goes down and lays his body over him and said, he's alive, no problem. And they pick the boy up and he goes back and preaches till daylight. Now, a man like that, and you're going to tell me he was sick and afflicted? Give me a break. Paul was not sick and afflicted. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your doctrine is. I'm going to tell you that Paul was not sick and afflicted. You can, you can ask anybody you want to when you get to heaven. You can ask him. But a man that preached healing in Ephesus and saw that little guy had faith to be healed and he's sliding around on a plate and he never walked a day in his life. I'm telling you, that man was preaching healing. He was preaching the Word of God. And Paul was not sick and afflicted because if Paul had been weak and sick and afflicted, there's no way I can preach where you can have faith to be healed. Does that only make sense? If I'm preaching healing and I'm up here all sick and afflicted and everything and I ain't got no strength, who is going to believe I can preach and get healing if I can't get you healed, if I can't get myself healed? Well, let me tell you, I've learned something that's work, And it's God's Word. And if it'll work for me, and it'll bring forth my grandbaby from the dead, it'll bring forth Kelly from the dead, you might say, and heal her back in school in two and a half weeks. Kelly's doctor told her mother, and her mother never believed the miracles I used to tell my wife. I'd come in and say, honey, this, and, and maybe uh, Dawn, she would be there to pick up Kelly or something, because my wife and daughter kept her since she was a tiny little baby. I said, honey, guess what Jesus did at work today? And I started telling her, Dawn be sitting there listening, and I'd see her just roll her eyes. I thought, she don't believe me at all. And of course, after Kelly's miracle, she come over to my house, busted in my door. I mean, just walked right in. I'm on the phone, walked up, and she walked right up to me, and she said, Thurman, I'm going to tell you, I just come back from the doctor's office. And she said, I'm going to tell you, I used to not believe those miracles. They were so awesome. I didn't, I said, I know, Don. I can see when you rolled your eyes, you didn't believe them. But she said, I just got back from the doctor's office. And the doctor said, Ms. Ringstaff, I'm going to tell you, if there's ever anybody don't believe in God, you need to introduce them to your daughter. He said, I've been a doctor a long time. And I have never seen a little child, not counting the head busted open halfway back up her skull, but never have I seen a little child coming here with two broken pelvics, crushed like hers was, walk short of 10 to 12 weeks with a walker. And when that little girl got up out of that hospital in one week, and when she was walking with a walker in two weeks, and two and a half weeks she's back in school, throwed that thing away, and she's running and playing like she ain't not, never had nothing wrong with her, I'm going to tell you there's only one explanation for your baby, and it's God. He said, there's no other explanation. So Don said, I'll tell you what, Thurman. I used to never share Jesus in the workplace. 
But she said, I'm telling you, I will from this day forth. When you got a miracle living in your own home, the finest doctor told you that your baby is alive and well in two and a half weeks when it should have taken at least three months for her to walk with a walker. In two and a half weeks, she's running and playing. You know somebody prayed the prayer of faith for that baby. That God heard. Now, lots of people pray in the church, but we don't pray in faith. When we pray, and then somebody says, well, what do you think about that prayer? Well, I prayed for sister so-and-so, and I sure hope she gets well. I'm not sure what God will do. You might as well have not prayed. Because there was no faith in what you were doing. You were not calling upon the spiritual blessings that were yours as a daughter or a son of the king of the universe. When you call upon God, and you call upon Him mightily according to His word, and quote His word to Him, He shows up, and He produces miracles. He heals your ten-year-old baby's athlete's foot when you cast out that devil, doesn't He, Miss Janet? Yes, He does. Praise the King. I mean, can you imagine the audacity of a woman that would take her little ten-year-old girl and say, that thing in your feet's got to be a demon, and I'm going to cast that thing out, and I'm going to ask Jesus to heal you, and He's going to do it. Can you imagine a woman that even think about doing such a dumb thing as that? There's that one right there. And when she cast that demon out of her baby that night, she had an inch and a half long crack in her foot, and she said the next morning that war girl woke up foot like brand new. All because she cast out the demon and called upon the king and said, Lord, it's done because it's written in your word. And the king showed up for your baby, didn't he, Jan? Amen. Praise the king. I love it when God starts doing these things through others. Because it shows, I'm no respecter of persons, he says. All you got to do is believe my word. Wow. Praise the king. Now then. We need to make sure that we tell everyone that these blessings can be theirs also if they will only make Jesus their Savior. Now, the majority of the church has never seen any of these mighty miracles, so they don't know how to receive them themselves, so it's difficult for them to tell others about Jesus. But when you begin to walk in this, when you begin to find out all these spiritual blessings are yours, and you begin to walk in this magnificent anointing that's yours, as a son or a daughter of the king, and you start seeing God do miracles, you need to tell others when they come to your house, say, my goodness, Jan, what happened to your baby? And so it's as simple as one of my spiritual blessings. I'm a daughter of the king, and I have authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. What? We've been in church all of our life. We never heard that. Well, let me show it to you in the Word. Or somebody comes over, they're not Christians, and your daughter's playing with her daughter. And say, well, Mama cast a demon out of me, and I got healed. They say, what? What? Yeah, oh yeah, this is what's available when you come to Jesus. And they say, well, my daughter's got athlete's foot real bad. Oh, no problem, come over here. I'll cast that demon out and Jesus will heal her. And so she comes over and she's got eat, eat up feet. They're lost. They don't know Jesus. That's the best kind. You take a believer who has authority over the devil, you cast the devil out and lay hands and now I guarantee your baby be healed too. I wake up in the morning, the back, would you tell me about this Jesus? I woke up this morning, my baby's completely healed. I need to know who this Jesus is. You want to lead people to Jesus. You start walking in the anointing of God. And you start praying for people that are lost. And you start seeing people getting healed or their babies being healed. They will come knock down your door wanting to know how to come to know Jesus. It's easy to lead people to Christ. 
on a regular basis. All you got to do is walk in love and do what the Lord says. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus does these wonderful things for you. Now then, another thing too that people need to know whenever you start talking to them about Jesus, people will say, well, you know, I've been such a wicked sinner. I mean, I've been so bad or I've done this. You need to take them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you need to start at verse 17. And you need to start telling them that do you know that right now God is not even holding your sins against you as a lost person? That's the truth, isn't it, J.C.? You know that scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 19, listen to what he says. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses against them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. If God is not... In fact, I had a Spanish guy here several years ago. was out there on the dock. We'd been loading some equipment and everything. And this guy sitting there was taking a break. It was in the hot summertime. And I'm sitting there talking to these two guys. And I said, you guys know Jesus? One of them said, oh yeah, I know the Lord. The other guy said, no, no, no. He said, I don't know him. It was a Spanish guy. And he said, I've, I've done too many bad things. God wouldn't have nothing to do with me. I said, oh, this is scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.19. That says that God right now is not even holding your sins against you. He said, what? I said, yeah. He's not holding your sins against you at this point. I said, now then, as a believer, I have authority over the devil. And I'm going to command the devil to stop blinding your mind in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, knowing that Jesus is not even holding your sins against you at this point, and the devil's been blinding your mind. I'm commanding the devil to get his hands off of you. I said, how would you like to come to Jesus right now and get saved? He said, man, I'd love it. I led that man right into the kingdom of God, sitting right there on the dock, and got that man saved. He said, Thurman, you mean God is not even counting my sins against me? I said, not yet. I said, now, if you die in your sins, he'll hold every one of them against you. When you stand before him. If you haven't come to know Jesus, he'll remember every sin you've committed. But right now, he's not counting them against you because of Jesus. So you can bring anybody to the cross. And when you bring them to the cross, I don't care what you've done or how bad you've been. He'll bring you right in. And the blood of Jesus washes away all of their past sins. Is that good news? That's good news. And now then, he says, now then you're my son, my daughter. Now you're supposed to straighten your act up and start walking holy before me. And that's the thing we fail to teach them. Let them go back out there in the world and keep sinning. No, the devil gets legal right and boy, he'll come in to kill, steal, and to destroy. When you get all the sins washed away and a guy goes right back out there and starts sinning again, the devil says, now then, I have legal right to him and I'm going to come into him and he's going to torment you and that man's life's going to get bad. Really bad. So you need to teach them who they are, what their spiritual authority is, and that there's a devil out there that if they go back into their life of sin, the devil's going to come in to kill, steal, and to destroy. And you need to realize that. Because if you walk holy before God, the devil can't touch you. That's an awesome promise too in 1 John 5, 18, isn't it? Awesome. That's another one of your spiritual blessings. Now then, now then, in, we, we need to know all these things. We need to know what belongs to us and we need to act on it. 
Because in uh, John 8.32 it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But now without the Word of God, you can't know the truth, because the truth is the Word of God. You know, we absolutely wonder in the church why so many bad things happen to us as Christians. <laughs> First of all, we don't know what the Word says. Do you know the average Christian, and I'm not going to pin you down right now, but and the lady may be here that asked this question. If you are, I'm going to make this statement. We had a lady that yesterday wanted us to come to her home for healing. We told her, today's a healing school. Come to the healing school. Well, she didn't much want to take time. First question was, how long is it? Well, three to four hours. Oh, three to four hours. There's no way I could sit through a class of three to four hours. I told Wendell when he told me that, I said, by the way, tell her there's a 500-question test at the end. <laughs> and you must make 100% to get healed. <laughs> I mean, you go to college and you get all those long tests, you know, and you have to make a passing grade. So why does God not require that? All He asks you to do is come, hear His Word, believe Him, and He will heal you. It's a promise from God. Repent of your sins. Promise Him you'll walk holy before Him. And He will heal you. Guess who is not the healer? Me. I am not the healer. I'm just the messenger. But I teach you the message. And the message I teach from God's Word, if you'll be obedient to it and do what it says, He will heal you. And He will heal you every time. We've had many, many wonderful healings come out of this healing school over the last four years. Many. But I've come to realize that we don't know what God's Word says. Now, God said in His Word in Hosea 4, 6. Now, I quote a portion of that verse many times, but I'm going to quote the entire verse so you'll realize it's got more to it than what most of us have said. My people, which are called by my name, perish for the lack of knowledge. Now, that's where we stop. We stop right there, but there's more to that verse. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I will also reject you that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of my God, of thy God. I will also forget your children. Now, that's, that's from God. I didn't write the book. You know, don't jump on me. You know, I have to do that same thing. Now then, if I am obedient to remember God's Word and to study His Word and to learn His Word and to be obedient, to walk in obedience to His Word, to go to church, to tithe, to walk in love, to do everything He says, then He says, I will bless not only you, but your children. Now then, we wonder why so many of our children are killing themselves having the wrong kind of relationships, going the wrong way, because you ask a parent, like I was in a home here a while back, sharing with a man about salvation, a little 10-year-old boy come running through. He stopped and listened a few minutes. He said, Mr. Scrivener, I would like to make Jesus my Lord. I said, great, son. His daddy jumped in and said, no, son, you're not, you just go on and play. You're not old enough to know what we're talking about. I said, Mister, at 10 years of age, that boy is more than old enough to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
I realized it was the devil in him. I was riding down the road one day in a van with a woman with her three children and my wife and my two children. And one of the little girls, she was about 10, 11 years old, crawled up in between the two seats in the van. And I'm sitting there talking with her, driving down the road, talking with her about Jesus. Now, her mother sitting in the captain's chair right over there. My wife sitting right there. She's sitting on the floor right here talking to me. And as I'm talking to her about Jesus, I said, by the way, how would you like to make this wonderful Jesus your Lord and Savior? And before she could say a word, that woman screamed at me some of the most foul words of profanity. I, you would not believe what came out of that woman's mouth. I pulled over to the side of the road. We were at least two and a half hours from her house. I pulled over to the side of the road. <laughs> And I said, open the door and get out. She said, what do you mean? I said, you're not going to ride in my van talking like that. My wife said, honey, we're two hours from her house. I said, she's got a long walk, hasn't she? She said, honey, you wouldn't put her out. I said, if she talks like that, one more word like that in my van there will be no questions asked. I will stop, and if necessary, I will put her out. But I said, you're not going to ride down the road in my vehicle with my children spitting out those kind of words. You will either walk or you will keep your mouth shut, woman. I said, are you going to keep your mouth shut? I said, you're either going to say yes or you're going to walk. My wife said, honey, you wouldn't do it to her. I said, I happen to be the priest to this home. And what I say goes. God put me in control. He's holding me accountable. I said, so yes or get out. She said, okay. I'm telling you what, I'm not a normal preacher. I'm not a normal man. And I want you to know, if you ride with me, or you're around me, there will be no words of profanity spoken where I am. In fact, I, have, I walked into the president's office of a company I worked for a few years ago when he showed me a video with three or four other guys, and the Lord's name in vain was taken twice in the first three minutes of that video. I said, Lord, if it says it one more time, I'm out of here. It didn't do it no more. So after it was over, I called the VP. I said, I would like to see you in your office. He said, what for? I said, I have a word for you. I'm a brand new person at that place. They've moved me there, and I've only been there about three weeks. I walked into office. I said, I'm going to tell you something, sir. I am a man of God. I told you that the day that you brought me over here. And I said, I have a vocabulary that allows me to communicate with people without using profanity. And especially since God said in His Word, that sin shall not go unpunished. I said, so... If I'm going to work in this place, and I'm going to be an engineer for you and for work on your staff, I want you to know I will never allow another word of profanity to be spoken in a meeting that I'm in. If it's spoken, I'm out of here. If you guys can't do what I ask you to do, then I can't work for your company. I'll take my services somewhere else. He said, well, Thurman, I'm 
I've even done that myself. I said, you'll stand before God in judgment for the taking his name in vain. I said, I suggest you stop. He said, okay. And seven years later, I never heard a word of profanity spoken in a management meeting in that place. Can one man make a difference? I think so. Now then, somebody said, you could have got fired. Hey, I could care less. I don't work for them in the first place. I am a lot more afraid of God than I am man. I'm not afraid of man at all. But God, I am very afraid of the king. He has the power not only to slay my physical body, but to cast me into hell if he wants to. Are you afraid of him? I guarantee I am. I'm going to do what he says. Because when I do what he says, he does what he says. And he brings forth the dead, he heals the sick, he does all kinds of wonderful things. But I don't tolerate sin. That's just the way I am. I try everything I do to do it perfect. I mess up a few places once in a while, but I do work diligently. Wendell, he's been working with me in the ministry now. He realizes. And when he makes a little mistake of some kind, I just tell him, I don't tolerate that kind of mistake. If you're going to work with me, you're going to work to do perfect. I don't allow any sloppiness. If you want to work with me, that's the way you're going to be. That's the only way to be, right? That's what the king says. I don't allow you to be sloppy. When somebody says, well, I did the best I could. It wasn't good enough. If it's not perfect, it's not good enough. That's the way I look at it. Do I do everything perfect all the time? Obviously not. But at least I strive to do it perfect all the time. And I make too many mistakes when I do it that way. So I want perfection. Why do I want perfection? Because the king demands it. He demands it. He demands that you be perfect. He says, I was perfect. And now this is the example I've left for you. For you to follow. In me there was no sin. 1 Peter 2.21 Quite a goal to shoot for, isn't it? Is it possible? It's got to be or he's crazy. You think God's crazy? No. No. If he demanded that we be perfect and do exactly what he did, then it's obviously obtainable. Or he wouldn't have told us to do it. So that's why we should strive for it. At least that should be a goal. Don't you agree? We can do it. With the power and the Spirit behind you, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. If you make mistakes, confess it, throw it away, and start and say, Lord, I'll do it more, I'll do it more perfect next time. But Lord, my goal is to be exactly like you. And he didn't allow no sin. It's awesome what the king did. Where is it? Where is it? Matthew 5.48 is one of them. There's many. I've got a whole teaching on it. They're all over the book. But Matthew 5.48 is just as clear as it can be. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48. But there, it's all over. I've made a whole teaching on that whole thing. Made tapes on that, but I've not given them to nobody yet. 
But uh, then I want you to realize that when you've learned the knowledge and the wisdom, it comes to you. When you begin to learn all about these spiritual blessings, then you begin to lock on to this magnificent promise of Luke 10, 19, and 20. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Word of God when it comes to talking about your spiritual authority. There's not a scripture in the Bible more powerful than this one. This one will change your life. Now, when I started reading that the first few times, maybe a hundred times I read that, the enemy deceived me. And I didn't get revelation because he would always bring to my mind when I read that as a serpent, I would immediately see a snake in my mind or a scorpion. I never saw spiritual beings. And that's why it didn't, make, didn't become a revelation to me. But when I finally got a hold of what it really means, then I learned who was on this earth that was killing, stealing, and destroying. And that these spiritual beings call Satan and his demons. Now, they have worked in the background as invisible beings that have done a tremendous job on the world and the church. Now, we don't know who they are or what our power is over them. But listen to this magnificent promise. Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on the serpent, Satan, and his scorpions, his demons. All power is given to you over them. How much power is given to you over them? All power. They shall in no wise hurt you. Be not thankful that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather be thankful that your name is written in heaven. It's like the Lord is saying, when you come to me and get saved, that's the most important thing you can do. You come to me and get saved, I've now delivered you out of the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, and translated you into my kingdom. And now then, that's the most wonderful thing there is. But you don't even have to rejoice that the devils have to be subject to you and all power has been given to you over them in my name. And most of the church is just exactly like I was most of my life. I had no knowledge that I had all power over Satan and his demons. Do you know what it does to you? When you get a hold of the fact that, behold, I have been given authority over the beast and his scorpions, they shall in no wise hurt me. Do you know what that does to you? When you get revelation on that, you can change the world. When the devil comes into your house and you come home one day and your wife, or your daughter, or your son, or anything else. In fact, I'll tell you that a demon came into my daughter when she was three years old. And the demon of fear, I didn't understand how he got in, but that day when I picked up that beam, and that big old long snake was laying under that beam, when I picked that beam up and it scared that snake, and he ran, of course he was right at my feet, and he run this way, and there was my daughter and son standing right over there. And he was five, and she was three. When that snake started running toward them, she became petrified and started screaming. That sound normal for a little girl? Well, I had this big beam in my hand, so the snake was running straight for them. So I just done like this and pinned him to the ground. I got him well, about that far back from the head with the edge of the beam. And so... 
My daughter was screaming her head off. I reached down the beam, got a hold of the snake, raised the beam up, pulled him back, popped him, broke his neck, and throwed him way out yonder away from the kids. He was about that long. As soon as I threw that snake away, of course, I, started, I told my daughter, I said, Amanda, honey, would you please stop screaming? Daddy has a situation well in hand. Tim sitting there, boy and a girl, difference. He just looks over and said a word. He said, Daddy, that's what I call really having this situation in your hand. <laughs> I'll never forget that, five years old. I literally had the situation in my hand. And he, he said that. It's as calm as he could be. The minute I threw that snake way off out yonder, Amanda come running to me. I reached down to get her, and she climbed to me like a tree until her legs were around my neck. I didn't realize what had happened. But right there in that trauma, she opened herself, and a demon of fear possessed my little three-year-old daughter right there. And then people that will scare their children. I've seen daddies that will hide behind a door or jump up and scare their children. You are a fool. You don't have a clue what's going on in the spiritual realm. You can do those stupid things and open your children to a demon of fear and they will come in and they will be in that child forever. And most people never learn how to get them out. It took me till my daughter was 15 years old. Fifteen years, from three to fifteen, my daughter was afraid of everything. She wouldn't go outside to feed the cat at night, even with the light on, unless Daddy went with her. She would not spend the night with a child. She wouldn't spend the night with my mother and dad. Not with my wife's mother and dad. She was afraid of everything. Mother and Daddy had to be with her, especially after dark. I had no clue. When she was fifteen years old, she was up in her bedroom upstairs. My wife come down about twelve, twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning and said, Honey, You've got to go up and do something to Amanda. I can't get her to sleep. I went upstairs. I walked in the door. I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, daddy, there's just something wrong. She said, I believe if I died tonight, I'd go to hell to be with the devil. I said, honey, when you were six years old, you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I said, did you mean it? Yes or no? She said, yes, daddy, I meant it. But she said, I said, then case closed. It's done. She said, but daddy, I have this fear. When she said that, the Holy Spirit, thank God for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, your daughter has a demon of fear. Cast him out in Jesus' name. I went over there and sat down on the bed and grabbed my little 15-year-old daughter by the shoulders. I said, you devil of fear, you devil of hell, I command you to come out of my baby. I said, I'm the king and the priest over this house. I said, you have no authority to me. I'm walking in total obedience to God's Word. I said, you devil of hell, you come out of her. And I said, you go to the pit of hell and you stay there forever. Don't you ever come back in Jesus' name. I said, now, Father, I ask you to put the spirit of love, joy, and peace in my daughter. And I want to thank you and praise you for doing it. And instantly, my daughter went from crying her eyes out to laughing hilariously. And we worshiped and praised the king about 15 or 20 minutes. She went to bed that night, slept like a baby. The next morning she got up on the way to school. She bounced out of there. She was a new girl like she had never been. And from that day until she died at 24 years old in that car wreck, she was never afraid of anything after that day. See, when you provoke your children to be afraid, 
you open the door for a demonic spirit of fear to come in. Don't do it. Walk holy. Don't be one that jumps out and scares your children. Don't be one that makes your children angry. The Lord clearly said, provoke not your children to anger. If you do that, they get a demon of anger. And then they won't be able to control themselves. Then you'll have to cast that beast out. And most parents that I know have no spiritual knowledge of their spiritual blessings and what they can do in the name of Jesus. So you and your children go through life with your children tormented forever. Isn't that bad? All because we don't know God's Word. You don't have to put up with the nonsense of the devil. You don't have to have a spirit of fear. You don't have to have a spirit of anger. All you've got to do is repent of your sins and somebody with spiritual authority cast that devil of hell out of you and then believe it's done. I've seen multitudes of people set free from these kind of things. It's a spiritual kingdom out there that's coming to kill, steal, and to destroy you and you have been given all power over these beasts in the name of Jesus. And most people don't know it. They don't know it. But that verse right there in Luke 10, 19, and 20, how much power and authority did our king give us over Satan and his demons? All. All. And they shall in no wise hurt you. So you ain't going to let that devil do nothing to you or your baby no more, are you, Jan? Absolutely not. Of course, Richard, he's right in there with you. He knows that too. So praise God if the spirits have to be subject to us, like verse 20 says. If the evil spirits have to be subject to us, we make sure our sins are confessed. Then we drive them out in the name of Jesus. When we drive them out, they have to leave. And everything in yours or your children's life will change. Praise the King. Now then, Ephesians 6.10. Let's look and see what the Lord says here. In Ephesians 6.10, He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, how did He tell you to be strong? Be strong in what? In the Lord. And in the power of His might. Well, now, if God said to be strong, we must be able to be strong. So how do we get to be strong in the Lord? How do you, how do you get to be strong in the Lord? The Word. Now then, if I walk up to you and say, quote me your favorite verse, and you say, well, let's see here. Let me find my Bible. Uh, let's see, I think it's in let's see, Matthew, or maybe it's in Mark. You are in big trouble if the devil comes by your house. And you know what's wrong with the average church member I've come in contact with? That's the problem. They don't know any word. Now, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So if you're going to be strong in the Lord, if you don't have His Word hidden in your heart and the devil attacks you, you have no sword to come against Him with. Now, if He attacks you, you don't have time to go get the Word, usually, and spend a few hours or days trying to find the answers in God's Word. You need them hidden in your heart. So you need to read the Word every day. Every day. If you'll read it every day and start quoting it every day, you'll get to where you can just quote scriptures. They'll just come out of your mouth like water. And when you do, then you're strong in the Lord. Now, then, whenever they called me and said, Thurman, your wife and daughter 
has just been deceased in a car accident and the, the grandbaby and the other little girl are not expected to live. Have you got time under those conditions to go get your Bible and start searching for the Word? You know, you ain't got time at this point. I'll tell you for sure. If you and the Word hasn't already become one, forget it. You're going to lose those babies. But if you and the Word have already become one, and you know who you are in Christ, you don't fall apart. You begin to worship the King and praise Him for His Word. You just walk, drive right over to Cook's Medical Center and walk in and say, Oh, the Jesus I serve. He'll raise these two girls up. And you let everybody think you're crazy. But you get to see the glory of God. You get to see mighty things. Wow. And what fun it is for a little girl two years ago that everybody told me couldn't live. They come busting in there this morning, jump up on the bed, flopping all over me. I mean, just hugging me, kissing me. We're ready for breakfast, Granddaddy. Praise the King. Got to have something to eat. And so we go in and get a bowl of cereal and everything. And then, oh, we just had so much fun. Just like I told Wendell the other night when that guy, when the lady called and said, somebody said that this little girl's a vegetable. I said, boy, what a vegetable. He said, yeah. He said, yesterday, I was over there where we was putting down carpet in Tim's big gym. And those great big runs of carpet were 12 foot wide and 80 feet long. That's the longest pieces of carpet I ever put down in my life. But as we were putting those down and putting them together, Wendell was running around her playing with her. And she'd run up like a football player and dra- jerk him around the legs, throw him on the floor. Then he, she'd get right up in the top of his chest and sit on him and pin him to the floor. And he'd say, i got to get up here. And, and she, he couldn't overcome her. <laughs> he'd have to pick her up. I said, boy, if she's a vegetable, I'd hate to see a live wire, wouldn't you, Wendell? <laughs> boy, I mean, she was having a ball with Wendell the other night. She was running on that new carpet tackling him. That's what God's Word will do for you and your children if you'll have it hidden in your heart. You don't have to be concerned if the doctor comes and says, I'm sorry, this happened or that happened, or the doctor's given you a diagnosis. Number one, when you get the Word of God in you, you won't never go to another doctor. You won't ne- I hadn't been to one. I'm not going to go to one. It don't make no difference what happens. I will never go to another doctor because I have a doctor. His name is Jesus, the King of Kings. So that's what you can do. Praise God. Now then, after you begin to get a hold of this and you get your uh, realize that you're strong in the Lord, this next verse, this uh, this verse will lighten your daily load. And if you'll do just exactly what Jesus says, but most people are not willing to do what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. I've come to realize that most of us cannot or will not do that. We need to cast all of our care on the Lord, because He cares for you. He loves you. But now think about it like this. If you come down with something, that's sickness and disease, if you're going to trust the Lord, you trust the Lord. When He was here on the earth, how many doctors did He use? None. None. I mean, I realize Luke was a doctor, but he never, not one time can I say where he, he said, Luke, I need your expert 
advice on how to heal this person. What would you do here, Luke, in this case? No, Jesus never, he never needed any help. But what if Jesus, what if somebody had come to Dr. Luke and said, Luke, I need you to heal me. Well, I realize there's Jesus, but I want you to give me a diagnosis, and I want you to tell me what I'm going to do. And so Luke, he diagnoses you, and he says, well, you know, you have this or that, and maybe we could use these herbs, and maybe they'll help a little bit. And so uh, Jesus said, well, you can either take Luke's advice or mine. I'll lay my hands on you and cast that devil out of you, and you get healed right now. Or you can use Luke's advice and take those herbs, and maybe they'll work. See, you can be like Wendell was the other day right here when this little lady came. And I don't think she's here today, but if she is, I'll tell this story. You can hold your hand up. A lady walked into the place here the other day with a big old black patch on her eye. Wendell said, what happened to you? And she said, well, they were trimming my eyebrows and they cut me and it's got infected. And said, my eyes all swelled up and it's bloodshot and it's all puffy and I can't see out of it. And Wendell said, well, gee, you're not going to get out of here without prayer. How would you like for me to pray for you right now? The Jesus I talk about and that I teach about, he'll heal you and you can go out of here seeing. And she said, I like that. So he said, okay. And he goes and talks to her about sins. And wants to know if she's got all her sins confessed and everything. Walking holy before God. She said all these things. So he said, okay. Now then, Mark 16, verse 17 and 18 says, I can cast this devil out of you. I can lay hands on you and Jesus will heal you. Then he said, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, says, I can speak to the mountain, and whatever I say, the Lord will do for me. Yes. So he said, he commanded her sickness to leave, laid hands on her, and then says, now then, go into the women's bathroom and take your patch off and wash your eyes seven times. When you wash it seven times, you will be able to see perfect. The king will heal you. So she goes right there in that bathroom, takes the patch off, washes her eye once, twice, Three times, seven times, and opened her eye, and perfect. No redness, no puffiness, no swelling, no nothing. She was totally healed right there. Does God show up? Yes, Yes, He does. Now then, He didn't say, go in there and wash seven times, and I hope that Jesus will hear us. I think maybe He will. No, He said He will, because He said He would. So when you go in and wash your eyes, said, I can have whatever I say. So you go in and wash your eyes seven times, and Jesus will heal your eye. And when He did it, He did it. Isn't Jesus wonderful? More than wonderful. See, now these are the spiritual blessings that you must realize is yours. These are yours. Now when we start doing these things for people as a church, this is part of your spiritual authority. Now, this, guy, this little kid here is only 22 years old. I mean, he's not even dry behind ears yet. He lived long enough to be... <laughs> I mean, he's just almost fresh out of his mama's womb at 22. You know, goodness gracious, look what he's doing in the name of the Lord. So, doesn't that make some of us feel ashamed of ourselves? When I was 22, I had no knowledge of what he knows. No knowledge. I didn't even know these things were available until I was 45. Now, what happened? I didn't have a man of God that knew these things that taught them to me. But when you run into somebody that's willing to teach these things to you, and you think, hey, this book's got to be more to it than what I've been taught in church. But I also told him, I said, this little girl that you're with, who is she? She said, my girlfriend. I said, you and her wouldn't happen to be living together, would you? 
Well, yeah, we are. I said, that's got to stop today. Not tomorrow, right now. And she says, oh, that, no, but, you know, God will understand. He said, no, He won't. He said, I want to walk in what Thurman walks in. I said, it requires holiness. She must repent with you, and you all move out, and you start repenting of all your sins. You must come to Christ, and you must start reading this Word, and hiding the Word in your heart, and worshiping and praising the King. He said, I'll do anything to walk in what you walk in. He said, I've never seen God do a miracle till I've come here. But he said, I want to see God do miracles for me. Did God honor his request? Yes, he's seen many of them. Many. He even laid hands on his bald mother and prayed for her head of hair and guaranteed when she wake up in the morning, and she hadn't had a hair on her head in 25 years, and the next morning his mother had a full head of black hair. Is Jesus awesome? He's awesome. But see, we don't believe him, do we? We don't believe Him. Now then, I don't know. As, as one woman, you're clapping your hands over there, Gloria. How would, how would it like, how would it be whether, if you were bald or you had hair? Which one would you like best? Hair. hair. Oh. <laughs> so, isn't that amazing that, you know, what we do? And when we have faith, we get to see God do wonderful things.